Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I am really excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about uh, some challenge results over the last week or two. What? Ross, you gave me the shake of the head. You're not excited? I'm not excited at all. Okay, well, we'll, we'll talk about why you're not excited in a minute. Dark I, yeah, I know why. Well, I'll get there. I'll get there. Somber. But I'm, I got to give a little teaser for what's going to happen this episode, but uh, lots of cool things to talk about. Um, there's spoiler season starting. We're going to go over you know some of the new cards a little bit. I'm quite excited about a few of them. I know you are as well. You were really excited about one or two cards in particular that have been spoiled so far. Um, a new deck is has kind of surfaced in, uh, in Pioneer and put up some good results this weekend that we're going to talk about as well. But I would be remiss, Ross, if I didn't ask you about... How are you feeling? Uh, I know that your beloved Utah Jazz were eliminated from the playoffs today in, in one hell of a game. I mean, last-second misses, last-second turnovers, um, players like almost openly weeping on the court because they left everything out there. Like it was a it was a really fun game to watch. Even someone like me who has no interest in either team in particular. Yeah, that's a it's a great game to watch if you have no vested interest in the outcome. <laughs> I mean, it was super entertaining because, like, you know, I, I can appreciate Jokovic. I can appreciate. Um, Murray just ascending to superstardom in this series alone. Like, I mean, the guy was always talented, right? But what happened there? Um, well, there's a lot that you does he just match up really well with Utah? Or yeah, quick guards have always given Utah a little bit of trouble. They don't have a ton of great perimeter defenders, and the best one they do have, Royce O'Neal, who is very good. Uh, got cooked for a couple games there. It played Murray well for the first. Three games of the series, and the la- the next three did not just didn't play well, uh, and they didn't really have anybody else they could put on him. They started putting Mitchell on him and Jordan Clarkson, which is a sign of desperation. But uh, so it, you know, it's a lot of little things. Part of it's the matchup. Part of it was you know just unbelievable shooting. You know, just both fr- from him, from Jokic, and from Mitchell and Conley. You know, almost everybody in the series until Game Seven really was shooting out of their mind. Yeah, I feel like. Um... Like, just looking at the series overall, right? I didn't watch every minute, but, you know, I either saw some of the games or saw some of the reports on, you know, SportsCenter, ESPN, or whatever. And I feel like every time I would hear a new report about the series, it's like they broke this record or, like, broke that record about scoring and shooting efficiency and, like, no one's ever done this. Or this is the first time someone's done this since, like, Jordan Pippen or something. I'm like, like, the names they're throwing out there, you know, like Shaq, Kobe, and you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, there were... uh... Before this, there were two instances where a, where one player had multiple 50-point games in a single playoff series. It was Allen Iverson in 2001 in the Eastern Conference semifinals against Toronto, which was a battle against Vince Carter, who also went yeah. off in that series. And uh, I believe Philly got that. Uh, they definitely won the series. I believe it was in seven games. That was back when they needed him for 50 points. And yeah, it was, for it, that was his, MVP, his MVP season where they, they carried them to the finals, and they won one game off the Shaq-Kobe Lakers, and it was the only game that Shaq and Kobe lost in that postseason. I, that was to say, it was very impressive. They won a game, if I was supposed to say, I couldn't remember if they had, how many they lost, but they looked unbeatable that year. So uh, so there was that instance of Iverson doing it, and then MJ did it in, like, 88, 89, one of the years. Yeah, before he, he like, really, he was really, really carrying to, the Bulls because yeah. they didn't have Pippen yet. Uh, yeah. So he was carrying it, you know, even more of the offensive load, so scoring in absurd numbers. Uh, so there were two instances of that happening in all of NBA history. And Mitchell and Murray both did that in this series. So now yeah, there are like, four instances. The odds are absurdly low, and it happened twice. <laughs> and, you know, uh, so a lot of it was just incredible shot making. There's been some. There's been a lot of speculation as to how the bubble is affecting that 
And, you know, the players are saying it's a shooter's gym. There's, you know, without the crowd noise, it gets a lot easier. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw a couple people doing that, right? Like, you look at the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Uh, scoring is up overall team, in the yeah. bubble if you just look at the numbers. But, you know, the other playoff series weren't really going off the way this one was. Uh, you know, I'll, uh, but neither team, you know, defended particularly well. And people made a ton of shots, so. Perfect storm for that kind of stuff to happen. Yeah, which is yeah. why Game 7 ended up being 80-78. to 78. <laughs> Just Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that, too. It was, like, so funny to see the final score in the last game. We're seeing these guys put up 50 a game, and then it's just like, oh, like, lowest scoring game of the series by far or whatever. You know, I got to so. tell you, the, it's pretty frustrating to have last season be Utah losing to Houston in the first round because they couldn't make an open shot. They shot, like, 25% on open threes. You know, no defender within four feet of them. Yeah, and you should be shooting like thirty-five to forty or something. Yeah, right? at least well, at least that when you're open yeah. on uh, threes. Right? Yeah, if yeah. if you're good. But the the Jazz had weak outside shooters on that roster: Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder. Uh, chief, yeah, yeah. Chief among them were, were yeah. you know Crowder didn't technically start, but he he played starters starter minutes. minutes yeah. yeah, because they started favors. But uh, so those two were weakness, and Houston just packed the paint and said, you know, beat us from the outside, and the Utah couldn't and. You know, they should have made, even with weak shooters, they should have made more than that. It was, it was frustrating to watch because the Jazz defensive scheme, which got, you know, uh, criticized over and over again because it, they didn't execute it very well in the first two games. It was the, They were basically playing Harden from behind or from the side so that they could cut, take away a step back. And that gave him a lane into the paint. But they said, you know, Rudy's going to step up and challenge you there. We're fine with that matchup because Rudy is the best defender in the world. And... You know, just we need to then rotate uh, very tightly and very efficiently and quickly to stop the you know open lob to Capella that is uh, created when Rudy rotates over, or various you know open shooters on the outside, and they just weren't rotating crisply enough. And Houston was consistently finding the open shooter or Capella at the rim and making them pay, but they got it down after the first two games. And that for three games in a row, they held an incredible Houston offense to very pedestrian numbers. And they, you know, made it a defensive uh, series, and that was really important. But they just couldn't make open shots, so they only won one of those three games. So they completely retooled the roster in the offseason. They, you know, got rid of Favors, got rid of Crowder, got rid of Rubio, brought in Mike Conley, brought in um, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. And because of that, they had to, you know, their roster got a lot thinner and the bench guys they brought in in the offseason Ed Davis Jeff Green just didn't pan out so that they ended up being really thin but they ended up being a very good offensive team from the moment they traded for Jordan Clarkson they were the best offensive team in the league and you know the best shooting team as well so even without Boyan Bogdanovich this is going to be a great offensive team and Denver while being a very good offensive team in their own right doesn't do it in the same way Utah does they run their offense mainly through Jokic in the post and he finds yeah, for cutters. Sufficient, yeah, for efficient they are, they don't score as much as other. No, they well they, they do score, but they just do it in different ways. They do, they. You know I'm saying they don't they don't put up the numbers that like they don't you know, shoot, they Houston's do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know the, they Jamal Murray for as great as he was in the series is like a 34, 35% three point shooter for his career, uh, and was this regular season. Jokic for as much as he gets talked about as a shooter for a big man is like 32, 33% for his career from three, uh, and. You know, not much different this year. And then, so, like, Gary Harris, not a great shooter, even though he only played two games. Torrey Craig, they've got some some weak shooters in the lineup. Uh, so not a great shooting team, but they spread the floor with Jokic, and he's such a magnificent passer that, you know, they get good shots, and they're a good offensive team. 
The Jazz actually took that away from them. Rudy defended their two-man, their Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll and Jokic in the post, which are the two ways they like to initiate their offense. And Rudy took that away. So they had to, you know, become a different offense, and it required uh, Murray to go absolutely apeshit, and he did. And so many of their role players, Jeremy Grant, even Torrey Craig, just hit threes. And it was frustrating. I was just waiting for them to fall off. And, you know, I thought Utah would fall off a little bit too, but they would have an advantage there. And I don't think there was a single game where Utah had a significant advantage shooting from from three. And maybe one of their blowout games they they did. I'm not sure. But, you know, that goes to show you when, when they finally did have that advantage materialize, you know, they won by a long shot. And so it ends up being, you know, this... I would go into this series and it looks like Utah is going to have an advantage here, which is why they lost in the playoffs last year, advantage shooting. And Denver just negates that advantage shooting really well over a small sample size. And then the final game of the series, neither team shoots well. And, you know, if Utah just makes a single three in that fourth quarter, they're good. They shot, I think, eight for 32. Denver shot eight for 28, I think. Um, So if they just make one of those extra four threes that they put up, which still would not have been a very good, you know, shooting percentage they just you know they win the game they win the series but I'm, yep i mean that was a pretty good rundown of uh, everything that happened it was a uh, play like shit for the all of game six and the first half of game seven that was also disappointing hey if, if anybody understands this it's it's definitely me over the last few years I, i'm sure you understand i mean you remember the way the saints have left the playoffs the last few years you know one of them like we just I don't even know what phrase you want to use about, you know, the mess up of all mess ups where we just have to stop them from getting a Hail Mary and their guys double covered, but our defender tackles, tackles our other, other defender, defender are, are, instead and, uh, of, yeah, it's like a, that. it's like a 3% or less percentage play. And they just like, I watched that game with a Vikings fan. So he was very happy. BBD. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he messaged me afterwards and I was like, cause we had like, you know, talked some, uh, friendly smack before the game, you know? Because I'm probably one of the only like Saints fans he knows, you know, he doesn't get along, he doesn't get down to the South too often. And then, um, you know, last year the uh, the the blown pass interference call, you know, was pretty hard to stomach. Um, a lot of you know people, you always hear the conspiracy theories like, oh, they wanted New England versus L.A., you know, in the Super Bowl, you know, better ratings. That Super Bowl ended up being one of the worst ones I've ever seen. I mean, L.A. just laid a pure dud and hasn't recovered from it since. Uh, I firmly believe we will put up 45 points in New England. Like, their secondary was dog shit. Breeze is going to destroy them. Brady them didn't even play that well and easily ran away with it. So, but I mean, I'm it, you know what I mean? Like, it, different things happen. If it's the Saints, they prepare differently, like, blah, 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 whatever, right? And then last year, I was, like, really excited about the Braves' chances in the playoffs. And uh, we... Screwed up multiple times in a five-game series. Still got to the fifth game, and then we gave up like ten runs in the first. Whatever, like it literally just never happened before in the playoffs. And I remember I went somewhere with a friend to watch the game. You know, back when we could still do that, right? Like he went to public, sat at a bar, like ordered some, yeah, ordered some nachos or something and a beer. And I remember I left. I, you know me, I do not miss games. Like I do not not watch games. But I was like, I will watch this at my house with a glass of whiskey straight. And uh, that was hard. That was hard to stomach. Um, like, here's, like, you know, I watched pretty much every game last year. I've watched every game but one this year because I can't bring myself to watch it because one of my favorite players blows out his Achilles in the game, and I just, like, can't physically take watching that. It, like, disturbs me, you know, yeah. when you see someone that, you know, put in that much effort or whatever. So uh, crazy, crazy sports stuff. I did want to mention, uh, sorry, last week for all the listeners that we didn't get an episode out. I really apologize. We had a lot of circumstances kind of working against us. Um, we will talk about the results from the from the uh, challenge from last week, but they still have not been posted. 
Yeah. By Watsy, so, so we didn't have the results to talk about. Also, I got hit by not one, but two hurricanes <laughs> in, in my home state. Uh, I actually... Two for one. Tannen yeah, the gets card advantage with his weather disasters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they either, they're either really big, you know, like Katrina, they're either like the mother of all of them, or we just get two of them, you know? And uh, we're not done yet, by the way. There might be some more coming, so we'll see. But um, we got pretty lucky. We got, you know, some of the lightest bit of the weather, you know, no damage or anything here. Um, just a minor nuisance compared to, like, West Louisiana. But I was prepared for the worst. You know, we uh, we'd actually, like, kind of evacuated even at one point for, for a little while. But so sorry again, I get the episode out. Um, we're definitely going to make it up to y'all. We're going to have a, you know, the patron only episode coming out relatively soon. So if you're a patron, make sure you get those questions in on our discord. There's a special channel for it in there. Uh, make sure you get your talking points in that you want for the show. Otherwise you're going to have to listen to Ross break down more Utah jazz series from years ago. And please don't make me listen to that anymore. I mean, I was trying to think of like the last time I've gone into a game seven where I was rooting heavily for one team and my team lost. And I can't remember one with Utah because they won game seven against the Clippers three years ago pretty easily. And they won game seven against Houston. What was that? Oh, six, I think. Uh, the, the Yao Ming T-Mac Rockets against uh, the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer. Might have been oh, eight. One of those years. But they, they had a game seven where Boozer went off. And the Utah Carlos won. Boozer era. Wow. Um. I guess in baseball, the, like when when Boston lost the 08 ALCS to Tampa, and then the 03 ALCS to, to the Yankees. I was gonna say it's been a while for me going into a Game Seven where I felt really emotionally invested because you know the Braves haven't been there in a long time. Um, you don't get that in football, and my basketball team here has been pretty non-existent for the last twenty years. Like you know we've shown up here or there sporadically, but it, small market, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say. I do remember the the utter sickness you get in the pit of your stomach. You know what I'm talking about, like that excited nervousness yeah. feeling that you get. Uh, the last time that I can firmly remember it was Game Seven for the uh, the the Red Sox Yankees when the Red Sox made the the reverse sweep. Oh, yeah. You know, the only the only team and, to ever and do that's that. That's why 03 doesn't really sting because now anytime you think of 03, you just immediately think of the next year when you know. The greatest, the greatest sports series of all time. I, I will die on that hill. It's, it's, it's actually just the greatest sports series of all time. I watched ever, ESPN thirty for thirty on it. Like it's amazing. Minute. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's utter, you get goosebumps watching it. Like your hand, your hair stands up or whatever. But I still remember because um, I we went and watched almost every game in the series in the same spot. We went to a local Buffalo Wild Wings. I mean, I had no taste back then, but anyway, um, and it was funny because. We were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but everyone's decked out here because you know Yankees fans travel well and Red Sox fans travel well. Like you know, there's just people yeah. that like those and, teams. And the we don't have it. had been picking up. You know, that they, they're they've been the previous year. You know, they met again, and it was kind of crazy. I don't know if they were doing it on purpose, but it was almost like the restaurant was like segregated. Like it was like the back half of the restaurant was like all Yankees fans, all the Red Sox fans were I in the front. You know, if you're visibly, if you're yeah, if you're visibly wearing something, you know, because I'm in there with my Red Sox hat on and stuff. Which uh, I think it's like right over here. I was looking for it a minute ago. But, um, you know, I remember like after they go up 3-0, <laughs> you know, all the Yankees fans were talking shit on the way out. You know, oh, series is over and stuff like blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Johnny Damon hitting that grand slam in the bottom of the first to go up like, what was it? It's like 6 nothing or something like that in the first inning. And just us going nuts, you know, because like you could feel it, right? When you get that first win in game four, you're like, okay, at least we're not getting swept. And the second win, you're like, wait a minute you know and then the third win like the bill the, the bill mueller walk off like the david ortiz walk off of the stolen base from uh the, who was it it's the guy who coaches for la Dave now uh, 
Dave Roberts. I almost said Dave Martinez. That's not right. Dave Roberts with that, you know, clutch stolen base. Like, everyone in the stadium, everyone at home, everyone on the TV knew he was running, and he still stole that base. Really cool. All right, that's enough sports talk (laughs) for the show. I I remember just walking into school after each game, and, you know, I'm from Central Connecticut, and so we had, you know, half Red Sox, half Yankees. Were you in high high school at the time? Yeah, this was my uh, junior year of high school. I was firmly in college. <laughs> so, uh, you know, after game three, all the Yankees fans are high-fiving everywhere. And the Red Sox fans are just looking at each other like, I can't believe this is fucking happening again. I hate yeah. the Yankees so fucking much. Why won't they shut the fuck up? And Just you know, anybody but the Yankees, right? Yeah. Like, if we have to get swept, literally, just give us the Indians, you know, give us whoever. And it's that same th- that same thing. You know, after game, game four, we all just said, oh, awesome. That was a great game. We didn't get swept. You know, whatever I can, you know, at least t- take some some solace in that. The Yankees fans have no change in their demeanor. They're like, whatever. You're like, you got lucky to get one, and it's like, well, we got lucky again. Like, how many times can you let us get lucky? And really, after Game Six is when things changed because Game Six is when the Yankees fans started getting nervous. Like, holy shit, this might actually happen. And the Red Sox fans are sitting around like, man, this is awesome. We got a Game Seven. Like. Like, I don't even know what to, this is new territory where I'm just used to losing. Some of the, some people are just like, they're going to find a way to fuck it up. You know, you know it. They're just that, that dejected. And yeah, I, I don't know what, you know, the entirety of game seven, as not close as it was, I don't think anybody ever felt really safe with any sort of lead. Because that, you know, Red Sox fans up until that point had been so conditioned for disappointment. And it's so different now. It's so weird to me. Like I, I can barely remember that time because they've been so good since then. Speaking of disappointment, the, the World Series that year was kind of disappointing because, like, after that, you know, no one's stopping the Red Sox, and they just like I think it was they just walked over St. Louis in like yeah. four games. Oh, they yeah. just like swept them. It was so anticlimactic, you know, because like you feel like the LCS was like what actually oh, it was mattered. the World Series. Yeah, that, yeah, that, so that it's what. Yeah, but it's like it felt like that mattered, and then the rest was like kind of just like, oh, they have to actually go and, go finish. And that was a good St. Louis team. That St. Louis team had the best record in baseball. Yes. They won like a hundred. Yeah, they were very hits. good. That was like Wainwright in his prime, or I mean, maybe Wainwright wasn't there yet. I gotta go check that. He might have been very young. Like Chris Carpenter. Like, yeah, it might have been like Chris Carpenter and some other people in their prime, but yeah, like Troy Gloss and like some of these guys. Like, um, I gotta go check that roster. I might be wrong. It might have been rolling at the time. Their rosters changed a lot, and they all kind of melds when you're thinking 15, 18 years in the past. Um, I think I mentioned this in the show before. I know that feeling all too well. I was talking about the last time I, like, uh, the last real PTQ I won. Like, I knew that I was going to win. It was limited, right? And we're in, like, game two of the finals. I'm up a game. And, like, the way the first two turns played out and, like, the context, the context of my hand, I was, like, almost 100% sure. I'm, like, I already have this game won. I just have to actually play the game out. It takes, like, eight more turns or nine more turns. It's, like, such a weird, surreal feeling that you're, like, you know, because I, I know I'm going to Spain now. Like, you know, I'm just like, hey, I just want a free trip to Spain. Like, you know, I'm super excited. But, like, I'm trying to stay focused and, like, not make a small mistake or something, you know. And then you end up not having as, like, big of a reaction to it when it finally ends. Because you've already sort of adjusted to the fact that you were going to win. As opposed to, you know, if you win on a last second top deck, you're sitting there focused the entire game. And you go from that mode to immediately, you know, the, the joy of victory. It, it kind of it becomes a little overwhelming. It was it was a little weird for me too because um, I was the bad guy in in that finals. Like I was, you know, the the proven dude. Like you know, like I don't think yeah. now you're the good guy in every finals you're in. Now I'm the good guy. Yeah. No, it's just like you know I had been torching like local PTQs for a long time. It was like me or Tom Ross won. You know, so many of them or like ran through so many of them, and then like I'm in the finals, and it was like a local kid. 
I think it was like his first top eight. Everybody likes him. No, not that I'm disliked, but like, you know, everybody likes the like young upstart, you know, it's David versus Goliath thing. And David just got crushed by the Goliath. You know, I'm not saying I'm a giant, but you get what I'm saying. Comparative, like you look at the David career at the time. Shot broke. I just kind of stomped on him. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, his draws were fine. It's just my deck was absurd. You know, like my deck was really like halfway through pack two or whatever. Like even after maybe like pack one, I still remember it very firmly after pack one, I would have bet you large, large, large amounts of money. That I was going to win the format. It was the first uh, uh, Nykthos set. Uh, Theros? Yeah, it was the first Theros set. And I had three gray merchants in pack one. It was just mono black. I was like, yeah, we're not we're not losing this. <laughs> I had like a removal spell or two. Like, you know, my creatures were good. I had like 10 playables with like three gray merchants. I was like, yeah, we're... we're. And then like, I ended up in black, white and opened uh, Oketra or whatever in pack three. And I was like, this is just... It's one of the things like you open pack three and you're just like, really? You know, you're just like, what? Really? <laughs> like, you know, so whatever that, that event was. And my sealed deck was like, I remember looking at my sealed deck and just being like, okay, if we don't top eight, something's really wrong here. I think I like easily six owed or something like that. It was just very, very good. You know, it was like a pre-con practically. You know, so also my draws were really good in the spots that I needed them to be, you know, it curved out a lot. Anyway. You win tournaments, Tannen. <clears throat> yeah. Not that you would know. God damn it. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, real, real quick, I think you'll like this. Um, you know who Eric Johnson is? He's Scooter222. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I hang out with him and, like, Todd Anderson and a bunch of people a lot lately. You know, we play Warzone and stuff together. And in Warzone, there is this item that you can pick up off the ground, and it's kind of important. It's called a trophy. And it, it's like this little tripod that sits on something, and it spins, and any projectile that comes at it that your opponent throws at you, be it, like, a grenade or a rocket or something like that, it shoots it out of the air. So, like... A very common thing in the game is if you're going to drive a car around, cars are, vehicles are really busted in the game. They're very fast. You can move around real quick. You can do a lot of things. But if anyone hits you with a rocket or C4, like everyone in the car dies, right? Like they're, they're susceptible to that thing. But if you have a trophy on it, you're very likely to survive it because it'll, you know, kill it out of the air. Every single time we play together, if, if the word trophy gets mentioned, at least once a day, Eric gets me with a zinger. And I got to give him credit because they're not always the same. He's not always just like, LOL, you don't have a trophy. It's like... Yeah, very clever. Some, yeah, it's some clever... Like, he's a clever guy. Like, I, I like him a lot. And he gets me almost once a day. And it gets to the point now where if I'm playing without him and, and it comes up, I'll just zing myself. Because I'm like, it, I, I do it because he's not there and the spirit of it has to live on. So. Yeah. It's just it's just a feel right if you don't get zinged. Yeah, if, if no one's going to get me, I got to get me, you know, kind of thing. But uh, speaking of people that can actually win, there was a bunch of tournaments that went on in the last couple weeks. Let's, uh, let's take a look back for a couple seconds on what happened last week because uh, we don't have the actual results, but we do know what deck won that week. And I gotta say, it made me feel kind of smart, Ross. Feeling pretty good about myself. Do you know why? Yeah, because you've been talking about that deck for a while. Yeah, what deck was it that won? It was a Teamer Reclamation. I believe yeah, it go also ahead and... won the other challenge that weekend, right? I'm not sure if it won both. I know that it won at least one. Um... I know it was sort of the breakout deck the weekend and it, you know, we talked about this two weeks ago, right, when you started promoting the deck as a way to, you know, go over the top of even Niv-Mizzet or Mono Green Devotion uh, and really just ignore what they're doing. So it makes a lot of sense to me why that deck was doing well. Um, I think it's pretty straightforward to build in this environment, uh, though you don't really see a lot of it this past weekend. And uh, that's, that's an interesting thing to me, right, is, like, we see a deck like that come out of nowhere, like beat up a, an entire tournament like i think the player went 9-0 or 10-0 in the tournament went an entire tournament and then we look at this week's yeah he went 10-0 i just found it it was uh henry middlestein 
uh, I went 10-0. And he said, Rec felt so busted. I threw multiple games and went 10-0 in the day. Uh, I was going to say, and I'm looking at the deck list right now, and it just looks standard, almost. I mean, like, there's a couple of cards, obviously. Like, there's two Is It Charms main, there's some Censors, and some Anger of the Gods. But other than that, almost every card in here is, like, standard playable. Uh, and you're, you're seeing kind of what's going on in the format here, too. Like, there's four Mystical Disputes main, and just a bunch of Aether Gusts and stuff in this. But, uh... I gotta say this, man. I was super impressed by this deck. I think, you know, the printing of Shark Typhoon has really changed a lot of things in a lot of formats. I think this deck is very, very good. There's a reason it was being called to be banned for, what, it felt like a year and a half in Standard and wasn't banned. And I gotta say this. I'm surprised that it didn't show up this weekend by a lot. Do you think you have any, do you think you have any insight on why it didn't show up? Oh, I mean, it's not that it didn't show up in the top eights, but you do see several copies in the top 16 of the second challenge from this week. Okay, let's say it didn't put up the results I would expect. Yeah. How about that? Um, there's not really one uh, any around in the first. Yeah, it, it surprised me that, that because I think that deck is quite good and should be a consistent performer. But we've kind of seen that same pattern over the last several weeks of, you know, decks having a big weekend and not really following it up. And that really the, the only consistent players have been. Monogreen Devotion, Five Color Niv, and, you know, assorted aggressive decks. You always see a couple aggro decks, but the, the ones that, that they are changed, you know. I think this week we have an Iowa Winota deck in the top eight, along with an Orzov Auras. We'd had an Orzov last week as well, but none before that. You see Burn sometimes mixed in. You see Mono Black sometimes mixed in. A couple weeks ago we saw a lot of Spirits. This week, basically none. Um, so there's always some amount of aggro, but not, you know, the con same consistent archetypes. And there's always some number of these decks that are looking to go over the top of the Niv and the Monogreen decks. But again, it's never it never really seems to be the same. You know, last week we saw Reclamation decks. The week before, I think we saw Citadel decks doing really well. Mm -hmm. and Another deck that kind of fell off the map yeah. this week. Um, and we've seen uh, Jeskai Fires. Uh, I know in, in one of these challenges, Corey Baumeister once again took ninth place with... Jeskai Fires, so another bubble for him, unfortunately. But th there's a couple more in the top in that top 16, so that that deck is around. But the consistent performers really are Mono Green and Niv. Yeah, and it, absolutely. There's what four Mono Greens in one of these top eights, and one in the other one, so five yeah. total. And Niv took down the second challenge of the weekend as well, which not surprised. I think this deck is going to be one of those decks that's just going to be a player for a long time in the format. Things are going to have to drastically change for this deck not to be good. I think that would have to be us getting really good aggressive decks in this format, which I, I just don't think we have those right now. And even then, the Niv decks can play good removal. The Niv, yeah, the Niv decks are so versatile in, the, in what you can play. You can you can main deck Oath of Kaya and Tulsimir and more Wraths if you need to beat aggressive decks, or you can switch into other things. So the versatility of that deck, along with Monogreen, I think is what keeps them as consistent performers. You know, Monogreen is straightforward in what it does, but it can win the game in a lot of different ways. It can be an aggro deck and put a ton of pressure on you and kill you on turn five. Uh, you know, it can run away with the game with various planeswalkers, or it can find a hate card with a Karn and ride that hate card to victory. You know, it leverages huge mana advantages uh, on the battlefield, but the fact that it still gets to play an attrition game and can play a defensive game against uh, aggro decks really helps it out a lot, and why I it's certainly my choice for the best deck in the format right now. There is some, uh, some. I don't know what word I'm trying to think of, but there is not a consensus at this point on a build, though. If you look through the list of Mono Green, 
There are the traditional lists that are playing a bunch of Voracious Hydras and Jade Light Rangers. And there are lists that are cutting away at Voracious Hydra and playing Elder Gargaroth. And Landwar Visionary and as well. Lists, yeah, Landwar Visionary over Jade Light Rangers. So those two slots are in flux. Um, and you see different numbers of all those cards across these different mono green lists. I'm not a huge fan of Elder Gargaroth, but I wanted to know what you thought of it. It just seems to me like an easy way to play into spot removal. And one of the reasons I like this deck is that most of its threats don't play well into spot removal, but you need to have spot removal against them to kill the Llanowars. So the way I look at it and the way I think about it is like, it's one of the things like when, when this card got printed, everybody's like, oh, look at this great flashy, you know, green card with a bunch of text, right? And then I was like, oh, yeah, another green mythic with a lot of words on it. That's going to disappoint, right? I didn't think this was going to make a huge thing. I mean, a huge impact. I got to say this. When you cast this on like turn three and turn four, I actually think it's pretty good because it does actually dodge a decent bit of the removal in the format, right? Like Fatal Push doesn't kill this. The damage-based spells, including a lot of the, like some of the Wrath effects, don't actually kill this since it's a 6-6. So it does get around that. Um, the fact that it can generate some card advantage or leave behind bodies if you get to attack with it ever is pretty good. Um, like all the abilities are relevant, right, with this card. Um, I saw one in play the other day. Like I watched uh, Todd stream, and he's going to stream the deck that I want to talk about in just a minute. And someone resolved this card against him. And he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just dead. Because like, he can't ever block it because it has trample, right? But then it has vigilance as well. So like, you can't attack into it. You can't go over it because it has reach. And then when it's attacking, it's like, oh, wait, if, if, are we racing? And I'm gaining three life every turn. Oh, oh we're not racing? Well, now I'm going to make three threes every turn and get ahead. Or, oh, we're stalled out? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some more gas. I'm going to draw some extra cards. So it just does everything, right? And that's what you want in a card like that. And I just got to say this. I feel like if you get to untap with it and, and attack with it, it's another planeswalker. Yeah, you're, you're very far ahead if that happens. Just yeah. typically that doesn't really happen with five drops, and this is one that doesn't give you immediate value. That said, that that means your point about it, you know, surviving a lot of the removal that gets played is really important because it, you know this is effectively a card that you're just you know tapping out for and praying it survives. The meta <laughs> you cross your fingers that Please. it's likely to survive. You know the card is going to play out really well. So. That tells me that the metagame just needs to adjust and start playing some removal spells that actually kill this thing. You know, get some Heartless Axe in your deck. Yeah, you know, some form of some form of Doom Blade. Yeah, right. Something, right? You know, like uh, of the rocks. There's, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of choices. Pick them. But and it's not only the mono green deck. I mean, the the team of rec decks are playing this in the sideboard as like their one of their pivots. You know, when you start bringing in negates against them, right, and cards like that that kill enchantments or stop them from casting big spells like, uh, you know, Expansion Explosion, and then on turn three or turn four, they just cast an Elder Gargaroth, and you're like, well, I, I don't have a, I don't have a Doomblade in my deck anymore, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, it's about, it's about presenting hard-to-answer threats in certain ways and stuff like that. It is pretty cool to see, this is something I've talked about as well, if you look like the third, I'm looking at the third place list, right? He's got a very different list uh, with, you know, Landwar Visionaries and stuff, but there's an actual sideboard in this one. It's not just all tutor targets. There's three Voracious Hydras and two Hunt the Hunter in the sideboard. This is something I've been talking about recently where I feel like you ne you might not necessarily need all 15 cards to be tutor targets, right? Like, you know, there's some matchups where, yeah, maybe you want Hunt the Hunter, you know, like in the mirror. Or like maybe you want Voracious Hydra to like, you know, help, you know, ping down some early stuff or make sure that you kill their, their, the their mana creatures. It looks like they really geared their deck to beat the mirror and those tutor targets are not good in the mirror. Which sounds great. Yeah, no, that that's exactly where you should be. So that that's a smart voracious hydra is definitely something you want access to in the mirror. Is not particularly good in non-creature matchups, so it makes sense as a sideboard card. That that looks great to me. And uh, in particular, 
if you're if you're thinking about how to build your mono green list, you know there's the, what looks like two choices: do I play Gargaroth or Hydra, or do I play you know Visionary or Jade Light Ranger? That to me narrows down to a binary decision because I think if you're playing Gargaroth and you have more five drops in your deck on top of Nissa, you really want to be playing Landmark Visionary because that gives you that Elf into Elf into five drop on turn three draw a lot more consistently. Uh, though I do like, you know, just the card advantage from Jade Light Ranger. I like sometimes having a four power creature and just being able to attack, but that one, three, five curve is really tempting. And if you're, if Gargaroth ends up being better than Voracious Hydra, then I would definitely lean Visionary. I'm leaning Visionary. I, I like this card a lot. I played that limited format a ton. I, I first picked it over most rares. I think the card is very, very good. And it's like what you said, anytime when you go turn one elf into turn two Visionary, whether you're on the player draw, if I'm sending another seat, I am very scared. Like, that is one of the best openings in this format, period. Because all the cards that come behind this are probably going to win the game, right? If they're going to play an Elder Gargaroth, or they're going to play a Vivian, or they're going to play a Nyssa, like one of these cards behind this. If you're not some way, like, ready for those or super far ahead, like, you're not going to keep up in this game. They're going to bury you in card advantage or just an incremental advantage on the board. And how are you going to keep up if you're not also a mono green deck just having your best draw possible, you know? Like, you need a, a timely thought seize to hit the only thing in their hand, but, like, the Visionary also draws a card, so, like, you're more likely to find more gas. Like, looking at this list, only seeing two Visionaries, those are rookie numbers. I think we need to pump those up. Might need to get up to three or four, but uh, I could be wrong. Like, I, I, as I said, I haven't played with this version just yet with Elgar Gargaroth and Visionaries, but if I were to sleeve up a mono green deck today or tomorrow, I think this is the version that I go with. Gargaroth seems cool and seems sweet and seems good against some of the decks that are going on. The fact that it just can't be killed is great and it just has so much relevant text. And I think you just want, if you're going to play Visionaries and you're going to play a lot of them, right? Like, let's say I go up to like three or four versions. I want more big payoffs. Like, if, if I'm more likely to have like the nut draws, I, I want to have these huge payoffs. Because if you go like turn one Visionary, I'm sorry, turn one Mystic or turn one Elves, plus a Wolf, uh, wolf Willow Haven. God, that word always kills me. On turn two, like you can still get there and do the stuff on turn three and stuff. So like, I just want as much going on as possible, honestly. So no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of coming around on Gargaroth, you know, but I imagine in the coming weeks, we will see a reaction from the rest of the metagame where, you know, you have main deck good answers to it. And that's really punishing when you spend your first couple turns, not really interacting, just generating some extra mana. And then you play a five drop on turn three and you feel like you're ahead and your opponent trades for that five drop for two mana. Suddenly, you know, you're pretty far behind because you haven't really done anything else of relevance. Now, one of the reasons I like Gargaroth and one of the decks that I'd be scared to play against it with is the deck that I really want to talk about. And that's the deck that won the other Pioneer Challenge. It was won by RHV. This is the breakout deck from the week. Yeah, it's a breakout deck from the week. I don't know what to call this deck other than just like uh, black red uh, pyromancer, yeah, you know, like Rakdos pyromancer. Yeah, Rakdos pyromancer. It's kind of like the the modern deck in a way that you know was very good for a little while. Jerry did really well with it at one of the Pro Tours. Um, really cool thing going on here because, like, just looking at this list overall, we're gonna talk about this in a second. <clears throat> and playing its mono green, I don't see a lot of ways for this deck to to interact with the Gargaroth very very competently besides like Kroxa trading for it possibly. I mean, and then I'm looking at the removal, plenty of, plenty of removal, so, but not in the main. Yeah, but I'm looking at the sideboard removal, like I was about to say, like I see Heartless Axe and Noxious Grass. Here's the problem with Noxious Grass. Yeah, it's great, but like, do you know how many targets in the mono green deck you have for that? There's all their Planeswalkers, all their guard, like, you need to kill all of that shit. <laughs> like, There's a couple like, of Dreadboards there, and like, your your pushes and slashes are going to focus on killing the early stuff, hopefully, and then you've got that for the big stuff, but 
Yeah, that, that is a problem because you don't want to bring... I, I, you don't really want to bring in that much spot removal against Mono Green because of all those Planeswalkers. They're going to generate card advantage eventually with those, but this deck also generates plenty of card advantage. So you have room to, to one-for-one one with them. You, you're happy to play that game, especially when you have Dreadheart Arcanist to rebuy that removal um, and, uh, you know, you're going off with Village Rights and Young Pyromancer, which is a super sweet... And speaking of games you're happy to play with, any game I get to play with this deck, I'm happy, Ross. Uh, I know that it's not relevant, but I actually sleeve this deck up just to kind of like put the cards into sleeves, shuffle them around, draw draw hands with it because it's so cool and it's so fun. Um, I'm also playing it in Historic on Arena right now because there's a you know very close port version of this in Historic. I'm going to go ahead and just read some of the cards off for people at home who maybe haven't seen this list. We will put the link in the show notes if we can, but... I'm going to read it off real fast because it's just a bunch of fours and a couple threes. But, you know, it's four Dreadhorde Arcanist. Doesn't take much to convince me to play that card. Three Kroxa. Three Rixmati Reveler, a card we haven't seen. Uh, It was, like, pretty good early days of its standard. It's still standard legal, but, like, not seeing any play. But really cool in this deck because it generates so much extra card value. Like, you discarding a card almost never matters. And then it gives you some more fuel for some of the cards in your graveyard. You'll hear some more cards that go along with that. Stitcher Supplier. This is, like... The nut one drop in this deck, this fuels everything that's going on. And you'll see why, again, that's really good later. Young Pyromancer, personal favorite card of mine. I owe it a lot of money. I'm a big fan. Uh, the next card, one that I'm super excited about getting played and is actually busted in this deck. Uh, because I remember there was a lot of press behind this card when it got first spoiled and when it first came out. And then it did nothing. And that is Claim to Fame. A card I'm super excited about. Uh, it just got printed onto, onto Arena for the first time. Because, well... Technically the second time, but it's now legal on Arena because they brought Amonkhet back. And it is spur it like made this deck a thing in historic, which made this thing a deck in Pioneer. Well, right. You know, this people, deck's been around at Pioneer for a couple months now. I remember playing a league with it like two, three months ago. Yeah, but not this version, right? Like not this like exact kind of thing. Yeah. Every, right? everything but Rick's Mighty Reveler, I guarantee you, was in the version of the deck that in I In Village Rights. And Village Rights is so really it, good. It was right? after Village image. Rights was printed. I get like this deck was around. It it you would see it in like the top 16 and top 32. It never had a breakout weekend, but it was around. It was on the fringe. And it, so it's weird to me that it, you know, just out of nowhere blows up. But I think your point about it becoming a thing in historic has just ray, put, put a lot of spotlight on it. And people are now like, you know, actually, these synergies are pretty powerful. You know, let me try to do this. And they're just getting, you know, more work to be done on the deck. And a similar thing happened to actually to Mardu Pyromancer in Modern, which you compared it to. That deck was around in Modern for like a year and a half before it got big. And it, you know, it started out much more white than it ended up being. There was like lightning elix in the deck. There was monastery swift spear in the deck. There was like one player crushing leagues with it, and no one looked at it. I remember because you and I, I think this is when we first got on the BCW team, and I kept sending the list to you. And I'm like, dude, this guy keeps crushing. I like it. Originally, it had like lingering souls, lightning helix, and all these, and like Liliana the veils, and like ways to generate advantage that way. And then it just turned into a pure like card advantage disruptive engine because that was better in the format at the time. Kind of thing, you know, it, it stopped being all over the place. Yeah, the list just got refined and yeah. made leaner. And I, I remember saying that when, you know, I talked about it as a deck that just needed somebody to put some work into it, but the shell looked powerful. It also needed the right metagame, right? It's a deck that really beats up on creature decks and it beat up on humans when it got big. Um, this deck is a little bit more well-rounded, although it does still play, you know, eight main deck spot removal spells. But with Croxa and Young Pyromancer and Dreadheart Arcanist, you got a lot more just built-in card advantage there. Um, the the deck is pretty cool. Sometimes it does not pressure people. Like I've played this deck a little bit, and basically every time I've ever played with the card Dreadhorde Arcanist, you know, 
it's really fun to be able to like, attack and you know flashback a spell and, and get some card advantage. You're only dealing one damage. You know? Yeah. And eventually your opponent starts casting five and six mana spells while you're still casting two mana spells because uh, you are a Lara deck. Uh, but that's what that's where Croxa really helps. I I fucking love love me some Croxa. After playing the Rakdos deck in standard for the last month or two, just give me some more Croxa. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm gonna finish reading out the deck list real quick. There's four Thoughtseize behind that, four Fatal Push, four Wild Slash, and four Village Rights. Now some of these cards are changing up a little bit. I've seen people already messing around with it. I'm gonna talk about the Dreadhorde Arcanist thing, like you said, for a little bit. That does happen. That is a thing, right? Like sometimes this card being a one three, you're like, why isn't it a two two? Why isn't it a two one? Like anything, please let me get some more damage in. But I gotta say this when the card is good, it is unbelievably busted, and it's hard to kind of tell because you're only taking, you're like, oh, I'm only taking one, I'm only taking one, but then you're like, oh, wait a minute, they've cost, they've cast Thoughtseize multiple times, they've cast Fatal Push multiple times, like, can you imagine it's a mono green deck on the player draw, where you're like, you're like, land go, right, and they're like, elf, and you're like, wild slash it, untap, Dreadhorde Arcanist, like, you can't play another elf, right, so then you're like, do anything else, go, and they're like, Thoughtseize you, attack Thoughtseize you, like, that game's over, like, you're actually dead, or whatever you know so like a lot of stuff like that goes on i mean obviously you can miss you don't always have those cards it pairs extremely well with claim to fame i've seen some really cool turns of claim to fame and dread arcanist where you get to do like you know discard my dread arcanist you know claim to fame it do all this stuff do all these cool things it pairs really well with village rights this is a card that i mentioned during our you know top eight from m21 into pioneer i was like i think this is a card that could see us in play you know, you kind of weren't a believer. I'm not trying to call you out. It's kind of like the uh, the counter spell that I wasn't a believer on that that is Fluffy that is yeah yeah that showed up a lot because there's never been an effect like that card effect gets printed all the time in every set, it, but yeah. it's always two mana. Yeah, right. Alters reap and yeah, there's a sorcery speed one. Yeah, there's yeah, it's always two mana or it's sorcery speed and like it's never been an instant for one, and that is a huge like there is no bigger difference in mana costs on cards. Than one to two, in my opinion. Well, Magic. Zero one is bigger, but that one almost never happens. So that's what I'm saying, because like that's not relevant except for in like vintage, right? It's very, very seldom. Ra- uh, the point is that you know one mana matters a lot more at the low end of the scale than the high end of the scale. The difference between fourteen and fifteen is negligible because you're almost never hard casting spells that are that expensive anyway. Exactly. So like cool stuff that you can do here. Like I'm a big fan of the Croxa. Wait to see what they discard. Sack trigger, village rights, my crocs, I draw two cards. That's like a cool thing you do. It's really cool with Stitcher Supplier. Kind of like it's like it's not an ancestral, but it's kind of like ancestral in some ways. You know, you could find some value in there. There's not a lot of things to like quote unquote flashback, but it does fuel your dread organist. It fuels your Croxa because like that is a thing, right? Like Croxa plus Arcanist is not necessarily a combo, but like the deck doesn't have a problem filling up its yard yeah, uh too too much. Right, you have Citrus Supplier, stuff like that. So, cool stuff. Claim to Fame and Croxa, again, not necessarily... Like, it is a combo, but isn't. You know what I mean? Like, you can't do... You, you, you get, get some... Fame, if you got to Fame your Croxa, you're going to do a lot of damage. I've, I've been claiming my own Croxas in Standard, claim the Firstborn, and that's not good enough. Now we get, you know, plus two, plus O. Oh. Yeah, my first game ever with this, I, I went, like, turn one, Thoughtseize, turn two, Croxa, turn three, like, I went, uh, you know, cl- claim my Croxa, get, get another card, play an Arcanist, and they just conceded. And I was like... Yo, this deck's fun. <laughs> like this, this is great, right? And the deck, the deck can grind because we've we've kind of buried the lead here. This is a Luris deck. Like it has a companion, and we've seen even with the companion nerf that Luris has like stood the test of time. I say that like it's been around for what, like four months, five months. <laughs> you know, it feels it feels like it just came out. But there was that one month of magic where they were like, "Y'all go wild, have some fun." We all knew this wasn't going to stay. You know, we we're going to keep doing. Like, can you imagine if Luris was still just 
played the way it was supposed to be right now. Jesus. I mean, we would but, just be playing Burn and Auras. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the format would still be exactly the same and boring, but I like this deck a lot. I would play this a lot. I feel like this is one of those decks where it's going to be, at first, kind of a flash in the pan. Right, it's going to be super excited. Everybody's like, oh, this new cool deck. And it's going to go the way of Mardu Pyromancer where it's going to have to get the right metagame, get the right card choices, maybe change up a thing or two, and then it's going to be a player. Because I do think the deck is very good. I think it's powerful, it's resilient, and it has a good game plan in every matchup, right? I think maybe you have to change up the numbers of cards here somewhere. Um, just from watching uh, Todd play this version, I play the historic version, Forbidden Ruins feels like doo-doo when I'm playing it. Because I will say this, the deck can have a problem with black mana untapped on turn one. Yeah, th this this was my problem with the deck too. Is that it's mana base is not very good because that's a friendly color deck. Yeah. So um, I was about to say, uh, is the red... I, I kind of want to like switch gears. There's no red black land for the new set, right? If there's a red black land for the new set, just shove four bad boys of those in this deck. Let's let's call it a day and go. Um, we'll talk about those in a minute because I think those cards are going to drastically impact Pioneer. Like they might actually just be number one on my list. I don't know about yours already. Oh yeah, they're definitely number one on mine. But I just wanted to finish up a little bit more of this deck. I, I think this deck's great. Like I was saying, you can you can be the aggro deck, you can be the control deck, you can. I I want to see how this deck goes toe to toe with Niv Mizzet when it has to kind of play that that like mid-range game against them. I, I want to see how that plays out because I think that's where if, if you have game in that matchup, then I think this deck is a good deck for the format, right? Because then you're, you're, you're not a huge dog to any of the top decks. You know what I mean? So I'm still a little skeptical of this deck. I think that, you know, because you're a, a Dreadlord Arcanist deck, you basically have to play nothing but one mana spells. So that's why you see four wild slash four fatal push as the main deck removal. I think it's really easy to play decks that minimize the effectiveness of those eight removal spells, uh, you know, and really punish this deck. So I would like playing against, you know, small aggro decks with this. I think it's probably pretty good against mono green because those removal spells are live. Um, but I don't want to be playing against control decks. I don't want to be playing against uh, niv mizzet decks that go over the top of it. I don't really want to be playing against combo decks. So I think there's pretty clear holes so I don't expect this to be a consistent contender, but this deck is very good at doing what it does and attacking any matchup where push and slash are good. So if those cards are particularly well positioned, they have to be, you know, they're good enough that they just see play all the time because they're just the best one mana removal spells in their colors, but they need to be particularly good when you're putting all eight of them in your main deck. 100% agree with you. I, I, cheap removal. I think those are really good points where you can see some of like, the cracks in the armor you know what i mean like where you think this deck doesn't just because we want that right we don't want a deck to come out and be like well this deck's just good against everything you know you don't want team of wreck and standard where you know every deck is is a dog to it right and i you know i've, I've been thinking about it a lot like what, what are the changes that we can make like what are the cool things because you are limited to what you can do in your main deck right like you're a lyris of the, of the dreamed in deck i'm interested in possibly trying out like a, a three or four of in the sideboard that is good in the mid-range and control matchups where like you could just put lyris into your deck you know, the matchups where you're like, I don't need Wild Slash or Fatal Push. Like, they're just not good. Like, you think about the control decks and you think about Niv-Mizzet, like, you probably don't want those cards, right? Like, they're just not doing a lot. Like, Shock isn't great and Fatal Push is not great. Do I have eight cards in my sideboard? Like, I see some Duresses. Some Dreadbores uh, are probably I, fine there. Yeah, I see some Dreadbores, but like, you know, some other stuff. But like, we can we can maybe do better. You know, like the Soul God Lander, but like, what if I'm just like, 
like one card that I was thinking about is like, what if we just play the the, the three mana Chandra that makes one ones or like flashes back spells? You know, it's like extra copies of Dread or Arcanus. It's, it's pretty good. It also can pressure people. You know, just like literally off the top of my head, you know, some Planeswalker that incurs a lot of value. You know, four mana Chandra. Like that one's fine. You know, not great, but it's another removal spell into matchups where they have big creatures too. You can just be like, all right, I'm bringing in just a ton of removal. Um, Pointing out oh, one thing, you're talking about the Dreto Arcanus, you know, you, you're kind of limited to what you can play. You know, you have all these one drops, so you can flash them back. You do have a couple of the two drops in the sideboard in Dreadbore and Noxious Grasp, and it's not common, but you can claim to fame to, to get one of these off. You can actually increase the power of Dreto Arcanus. Not super common, but that was like another thing where I was like, is there a Planeswalker or like a sideboard card that we can play that, that would do this? You know, I was like, I'm just really glad there's not a lot of two mana Planeswalkers because I think they would be busted with Luris, so, you know, um, I think this deck is, is, is cool, it's fun, it's good, and it's, it's, it's changeable, like, it's flexible, right, like, you can, you can, you can find some pet cards in there, but you are limited, you I need to keep Luris in mind. I this deck will want to play the new one-mana removal spell from Zen Rising, because I think it being a sorcery isn't as big of a deal, uh, and the kicker is nice letting you actually deal with bigger creatures, potentially, in the main deck. I was going to say that I, I want to see what the more kicker cards are any, any cards that are you get to kind of cheat on the mana cost, right? Like X X cards or kicker cards are really cool of Luris because they can get around the converted mana cost kind of thing. And I think that card is going to be very high in my list as well for cards that impact Pioneer. Uh, we'll get to these in, about, in a couple minutes. As soon as we're done with this, we'll probably talk about some, some of the spoiler stuff. But you know what? Let's just go ahead. Let's just go ahead and move into the spoiler thing. Why not? We got one um, more deck to talk about. Oh, we have one more deck. Which us, one is that? I'm let, not letting us skip over this dredge deck. Oh, eighth, yeah. Eighth yeah. place in the second challenge from uh, Cheffin. This is Soltai Dredge, but a little bit of a different list. We see zero copies of Grizzly Salvage, zero of uh, Gather the Pack, but four copies of Breaking and Entering. So they're really trying to go ham with the self mill. Uh, I, I like Breaking. I think that's actually a great innovation. I can't imagine not playing Grizzly Salvage, though, because this deck actually wants to hit its land drops. You know, the, the, this list is playing a higher land count, which makes sense uh, because of the Uros to enable Silver Smoke Ghoul. So maybe with the higher land count, you can get away with it. But don't forget, also, don't forget, they also have two Death Rite Shamans and four Seder Wayfinders to kind of help out a little bit there. They, they all they all play Seder Wayfinder, but Death Rite Shaman is definitely new for this list. Uh, but it looks like they're, they've gone with Merfolk Secret Keeper over, um, over Grizzly Salvage as the, the last enabler. You know, the, the, the list that I played six months ago, uh, more than that, eight months ago, was playing Wayfinder, Stitcher Supplier, Grizzly Salvage, Gather the Pack. You know, all is four of us. So 16, you know, enablers. We're still playing the, those uh, Seder Wayfinders and Stitcher Suppliers here. You know, they're just the best ones because they're creatures. But Merfolk Seeker Keeper and Breaking and Entering, so going in a more blue direction, which also helps support Uro to support Supplier. Makes a lot of sense. I do like the idea of getting more one mana enablers and just more more one mana spells to help the deck curve out a little bit better. Uh, but I've I've really liked Grizzly Salvage, so I'm I'm skeptical of that. But I like a lot of what this deck is doing. This list, um, I even kind of like the Fiend Artisans, to be honest. So I I, I want to kind of respond to what you're saying. And while I get you not wanting to lose Grizzly Salvage, and you're definitely the the superior uh, discusser of this deck versus me, right? Like you you have. Way more results of this deck than I do. You've played a lot. I'm great. I know. Yeah. I got to say, I would play Merfolk's uh, Seeker Keeper 
and I would snap play it over Grizzly Salvage, especially in this version, for multiple reasons. This this one's really small, but there is a, a Brokus Apex of Forever in here, a card that you can mutate onto this very easily, very cheap thing for going on. You mentioned the Fiend Artisan. This is another card that pairs well with Secret Keeper because you just get a very cheap body to kind of throw away to the Fiend Artisan. Um, again, Ooh, one blue mana, mill four is super big for stuff like creeping chill, you know, adding it on to break and entering is huge there. And it just helps you find everything. This gives you more of the, I'll say this, anytime I've played this deck and I've had Stitcher Supplier on one, I felt like my deck was very good, right? And then when I didn't have anything to do on one, I felt like my deck was underpowered. So this just gives you those extra copies of Stitcher Supplier type effect while also having some backdoor, you know, usage in Uro and Silversmoot Ghoul, uh, Ghoul and stuff like that just... It's just more things to feed the fire, plus the little the little side stuff, right? Like of being like, oh, I can discard this to Lol of Troll kind of freely. Like it's not you know an important card late. It's good with Fiend Artisan and stuff like that. It helps you know fuel my Deathrite Shamans for one blue mana. So like it's mana neutral to kind of extra you know extra mill myself. So big fan of, of this change. You will also note uh, zero copies of Narcomoeba here, and I think without uh, Decimator of the Provinces. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. They're you know they're just going in a, a bit of a different direction. I think this deck is set up to win through graveyard hate a lot of the time too. A lot of troll really helps there. Um, I, I don't, this this just might be the way to go with the Soltai Dredge deck because that deck I, I thought it might come back in a post companion world and after all the bans uh, hasn't really and uh, you know, maybe just needs some retooling. So I'm interested to see if this list can catch on. Uh, and I'll probably be dabbling with it myself. I've been looking forward to you streaming it this week. I can kind of see, hear it in the back of your voice. I will say one more thing before we move on. Get your scavenging oozes ready. If this deck makes a comeback and the the the, the black red deck we were talking about are, are both very like popular and good, these are both cards. I mean, these are both decks that don't necessarily do really well against that card being in play if they don't have an answer. So uh, cards like that definitely going up in value quite a bit. So super excited to see what's going on in Pioneer. Um, the rest of the top eights are kind of the usual suspects. You know, you see some mono black in there. You see a lot of Niv-Mizzet, things like that. Uh, really wanted to highlight, you know, the the cool new stuff going on. And I'm just excited that we have possibly another contender for, like, you know, a tier one, like, if you want to win a tournament type deck that can that you can be messed around with. At this point, I'm not going to say anything about decks that only perform on one weekend. As soon as I see a deck, you know, repeat that performance, then, then we can really talk about it contending with Mono Green. Because right now, Mono Green and, and to a lesser extent, Niv Visit, those yeah. are the decks that are putting up results week in, week out. No, 100% agree with you. As, as shown out one weekend and then failed to follow it up, so. Yeah, 100% agree with you. I was like, we could be in another for in, in for another Jun Citadel kind yeah. of thing here which you know what we might see that deck again next week i don't know it's so one of those things you know, you know blue white spirits all all these yeah, so what happened to spirits yeah exactly so we'll have to see and any given weekend it could change right like the meta game becomes specifically like oh these are the two most played decks and you're like i have a good matchup with this deck and then i'm okay versus everything else let me play that and then you get the right matchups you're gonna do very very well in your tournament like you know I've made a career of it. You've made a career of it of like going to opens where like I'm like I'm gonna play this deck this weekend and probably never again, or only, you know one or two weekends and just be like this deck was like you know I think about you and I's both great finishes with mono blue and standard right that deck was very underpowered, but when it was good it was very very good, you know in the format that it was in you know like I'm thinking of like my top eights of Tron it's not like I you know specifically loved playing the deck or thought it was absurd it's just it was so good in the open metagame, like almost no one was playing Infect, like, you know, not a lot of people were playing decks that beat mine, and a lot of people were playing like Jund, 
in blue white control which at the time blue white control like everyone every blue white player is like oh i'm i'm gonna get trotted like yeah whatever man get out of here like obviously you could win games but you know let's be real so i probably just alienated like 0.1 percent of our viewership oh, right there probably more than that people love their dirtily control decks uh, i'm one i'm one of them ross that is true I'm I'm so mad. I've been drafting Amonkhet like crazy, and I keep opening Sphinx's Revelation in pack three when I'm in like black red, and I'm just like, "Come on, deck, please, one time." I want to cast that card so bad. Anyway, shit, I did not see this one. I'm looking at the, the card list. Uh, you, the new green card is that the one you're about to talk about? Is it Tangled Florahedron? Is is that the new green card? Sorry, you. It's one of the transform cards that has the land on one side, and it's just a two mana land or elves on the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that card's really cool. Really good. Yeah. So, uh, for anyone, if you haven't seen any of the spoilers yet, th we're getting a new kind of card in the set. It's a dual-faced card, except they don't transform. You just pick a side of, of what you want it to do. And usually, once on, on these, we'll talk about the different ones, but on these, one side of them is a land, and the other side is a spell. So, this is pretty cool. This is kind of like playing on what a lot of other digital card games and card games in the past have done. Like, WoW did this and a couple other things where... Your resources are also spells. You just have to choose which way you want them to be. So while I'm excited about this kind of stuff, I do think it's it's possible this is going to remove a little bit of the variance in the game that makes magic appealing and great. You know, the resource system not being perfect is like actually one of the ways that like we stay away from being chess, where the best player always wins. But there's going to be a skill cap on these too, right? Like there's going to be some hard decisions in games where, because I'm going to play these cards. I'm a big fan of cards like this. I'm going to play them. And I'm going to make the decision to play one of these as a land on turn two or three. And then on turn seven, realize I lost the game because I didn't keep this extra random spell in my hand. And then you're going to fret. Like, was it actually a mistake? Or am I right. just, you know, being you're going to You're going to lose your mind over these cards. Like, 100%. I can already see you coming up to me in between every round of the land. It's like, man, I, I, I played the wrong side of my card again. <laughs> you know, like, you know, kind of thing. But I'm excited about these. There's a few of them. Like the one Ross just said. It's a, um, the land usually comes into play tapped. And it's, it's just you know, adds a green. These are non-basic lands. So, you know, they do get affected by like Blood Moon and Wasteland like effects. So it's not just a forest. But on the other side, it's just a 1-1 one, one that taps for a green mana for one and a green. These cards aren't good by themselves, right? But when you give the option, that's very good. Yeah, you raise the floor. Anytime a card gets options, you know, you raise the floor of it, which is why, you know, they, they can't give you super efficient halves of it because then you're getting efficiency and versatility. And they don't want to give you both. Uh, but it really does mean that the, the card is just much less likely to be bad. Right? Granted here, this one is still going to be like a weak top deck late in the game. Neither of those effects is a great top deck. But you can look at the mythic they just previewed, Amiria's Call, where the front side is a 7 mana sorcery that makes 2 four, 4 angel tokens and makes your non-angels indestructible until end of turn. And the back side is a land that enters tapped and adds a white mana unless you pay through life. Then it enters untapped. So oh, it's, just a, it's just a shock land. Yeah, it's a, or like a bolt land, I guess. And that, I, I'm guessing that's a, that's going to be a cycle. There's going to be a, a set of mythic one for each color where the the backside land you can pay through life and enters untapped. Like that's a card that you know now Holy. you can play. You can play effectively. You know, 24 lands and four of those, and now you've got 28 lands. So you know you're not going to be manuscript early. But when you rip one of them late, you have a really powerful spell. Uh, you know. And it, for Pioneer, like I'm, that card's you know just too inefficient, probably. Though I don't know, maybe there ends up being like a mono white devotion deck, that or a control deck that just like wants its 29th land to yeah. be a spell. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, um, you know, I, I could definitely see it. 
But as far as I'm concerned, the the big thing right now to talk about is this set of pathways. Because and that's the uh, the quote unquote new dual lands, right? Yeah, and these are also transform lands for those that don't know, and they, it's a land on either side. Let's let's be careful. They're not tra- like and it's it's a good way to say it. they're not like transform because like once you pick one, you are yeah, set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're double faced, I guess. I'm kind of thinking that there's going to be some way in a later set to, like, transform cards and that they're going to play around with this. There's ways to, like, return lands to your hand yeah. or, like, put lands top of your library. So you're, like, late in the game, you're like, oh, I need the second source of red. Let me pick up my uh, river glide pathway and play my lava glide pathway, you know. Or you can, like, uh, you know, sometimes you'll have a spell under that land. You can pick it up with some effect and now you've got a spell. You've effectively drawn a card. Uh, which is pretty cool. So I assume there's going to be some ways. To, I guess they can't really do it when it's sorcery is on the side of it. Because, like, what happens when you transform a land into a sorcery? So that's actually probably yeah. not happening. Yeah, I think the land is always going to be the dominant side of the card. So if it ever gets flickered in some way, it doesn't come back as a sorcery and just go to the no, graveyard. Actually, the, the sorcery is the front half of the card, so it doesn't do crazy stuff. Like, like that, the red one doesn't go off with life in the loam. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, actually yeah. better. Yeah. And, like, thinking about it, it's like, I kind of understand why we haven't gone back to Kamigawa recently because, you know, you don't want this with, like, Moonfolk. It's not, like, ways to pick up lands as an advantage. You know, you don't want abusive ways of that. So that's definitely something I'm going to go through the Gatherer when I get home. Like, when I get home. When I get done with this, I'm going to, like, you know, next time I'm just, like, scrolling through my phone name. So I'm going to look for some ways to abuse lands and stuff that I'm, I'm excited about in the future. But I know that you were really excited about these because of what it means for aggro going forward in Pioneer. Yeah, I, mean, I think both of us have been talking about it for quite a while now. Ad, ad nauseum, man. <laughs> yeah, needing better mana bases for friendly colored aggressive decks. And we've hit a lot of the you know combina- color combinations that need help and want to be playing more aggressively, namely Gruul and Selesnia. We're going to get the other four, I think, later on. So, you know, Rakdos Pyromancer will have to wait, but it'll get its turn. But these lands are really powerful, because the key is to have, you know, early access to both colors of mana, right? And, you know, the, it, this isn't going to let you play a bunch of double color cards of each color, right? Because then you really need access to dual lands. But if you're, you know, playing like the the mono red or nearly mono red Bushwhacker deck that's flashed green for a Tarkus command and there was another card or two, you know, that deck had actually had trouble sometimes casting its green spells. You know, the red green pathway is going to make it so much easier for that deck. You know, for green-white, there was, I remember early on, a an Auras deck that was Selesnia. Like, maybe that can work now. Basically a Hexproof deck. Uh, you know, now, But its mana was really bad. And you can start looking into Scales decks that play Conclave Mentor instead of Winding Constrictor because the mana is going to work out a lot better. So I, I'm excited to see those kinds of strategies actually get functional mana and see seeing which one of them... Uh, which ones of them can really compete. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited about these cards. I think they're going to be... It's an easy... Like, you know, we do our top eight lists for everyone. It'll be easy to put these at, like, the top four, if not just the top card for Effect and Pioneer because it's a land and it's going to affect things. Um, they're going to be high on the list. Uh, another card that I think is going to be pretty high on the list or possibly... Lotus Cobra is getting a reprint here. It's got some cool new looking artwork and it's at rare, not at mythic this time. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to be something we'll have to see. You know, there's not as many fetch lands, right? Like that's when Lotus Cobra was like busted. It was in a set that had fetch lands, but this is a card that can do some degenerate stuff. Like I think about this card of like Uro and, you know, Fabled Passage and some other cards that are already getting played in Pioneer. You don't need to change up much to make this card very good. And it's a better top deck than a Lamor Elf. 
late in the game. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But, I do think this card is getting a little bit overrated right now. Very uh, possible. You know, it's a splashy card. People remember it that was around. It did see play in some good decks. You know, there was the the teamer um, sort of mid-range deck with Inferno Titan and Jason Oracle. There was the Turbo Land deck that it saw play in, and there was Bant Mythic before that with the Sovereigns of Lost Alara. Um, so it's definitely good. Yeah, you know, I expected to see some play, but this is not a card that you put into every green deck or even every green deck that wants to ramp. Because what Lotus Cobra does is provide a quick burst of mana, and then it you know kind of pe- uh, peters out as opposed to something like Rapid Growth or Cultivate that give you sources of mana that last you know for, for the rest of the game. So if you look at those decks that Lotus Cobra was in, they stopped their curve at six, so they weren't really you know full on ramp decks. You're not really usually going to see Cobra next to Ugin. Um, Though I do think tomorrow's versus live episode does have a deck with both, but that's because of Omnath <laughs> being busted. Uh, Omnath might be the bridge between those two cards, but that would make it, you know, the exception, not the rule. Yeah, so, Cobra also does some fixing. It's not just green, you know, it adds whatever yeah. color you want. But the, the Lotus Cobra is meant to, you know, get you quickly to those really powerful four, five, and six drops. So that's what you want to be pairing it with. You've got a lot of options because of the mana fixing, as you said. Um, but I'm not convinced it's going to be super powerful in a format without actual fetch lands. You know, you're going to get your Fable Passages. There are some really cool things you can do with it. You know, turn 2 Lotus Cobra, turn 3 land, gets you to 4 mana. You can play your Omnath, right? Now you have 3 lands in play. If you untap with those 2 on the next turn, you cast your Uro. You play 2 lands, and suddenly your Omnath is triggered, and you have 4 mana up from the 2 land drops and the 2 Lotus Cobra triggers. So that's 8 mana. And, you know, now you, you can Ugin if you want to, and that's why I think it might be a bridge between those two cards, just because that curve works so well. But you've also, you know, played till turn four without your opponent interacting with you. And that's one of the issues with Lotus Cobra, is that when they kill it, it doesn't leave anything behind. It's not, you know, it's not a rampant growth. So uh, there there's definitely going to be some emphasis on cheap removal if people start playing Cobra. There's a lot, there's def- there, you know, there's, there's ways to mitigate the, the problem here. Uh, and one of the reasons it was so good in the, the Teamer deck back in the day was because Cobblade, which the Teamer deck was competing against, didn't really have a good cheap answer to a Lotus Cobra. There just wasn't one available until they printed Dismember and New Phyrexia. Uh, you know, I remember Cobblade lists before that were playing Oust, sometimes even in the main deck, because that was their best way to answer a Lotus Cobra. Yeah, you just can't. You just have to stop them for like a turn or two, right? Like, yeah. But the, this this format has be, is going to have better removal for Lotus Cobra than the the previous one did right 10 years ago uh another card that i'm pretty excited about and could see some play in this format or other ones uh confounding conundrum it's one in a blue for a blue enchantment uh when it enters the battlefield you draw a card because it's why not it says whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control if that player had another land enter the battlefield under the control of this turn they return a land they control to its owner's hand so this card's like a preemptive thing for like uro ramp strategies it stops uh you know we talked about you know fetch lands not being here it stops fetch lands like that maybe not the biggest card for pioneer but this is a card that you're going to see a lot of in like standard maybe some other formats um i hate that it's blue i hate that this card is blue because it's going to go into the uro decks for to beat the other uro decks and it's just going to be a main deck card because it draws a card and like why not like they don't care and it's just going to become this like blue soup type format thing like i'm not a big fan of the like why is the card just not white or like 
something like that. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's, it, it feels like a white card to me, but whatever. Um, I do think that card could possibly show up the, the one card, another card that everyone's kind of, you alluded to it earlier and everyone's singing its praises. I'm trying to find the actual name of it. The black removal spell, which we seems like we get a new one every set that we are talking about being great in this format. Um, what is the, the name of the one with the one kicker that we were talking about? Blood chiefs thirst. Right, and so this one is, ah, I found it. It's a sorcery, so that's the only knock on this card that I can find. It's a pretty big knock. Yeah, it's a pretty big one. Uh, it is a sorcery, and it destroys target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost two or less. If the kicker was paid, which is two and a black, meaning it's a four mana sorcery now, instead destroy target creature or planeswalker. I'm hearing wild, wildly mixed reviews of this. I've heard some people say, I'm not seeing it. You know, it's it's a sorcery. It's not as efficient. You know, when you have to pay four mana for it, I'm not always excited about that. You know, it's usually going to take up my entire turn at sorcery speed. And then there's like the other end of the spectrum. Like I know um, Ryan Overturf like wrote an entire article that he thinks it's going to you know drastically change the format. He thinks it's going to be very good. So I'm maybe somewhere in between and would have to play with it and see how it plays out. Not a big fan of sorceries in my black removal spells, but yeah, this I'm, one's pretty flexible. I'm pretty down actually. I, I would be in the da- in the the down camp here. The so- sorcery is such a huge difference when you're talking about removal spells. You know. There's so many times, even in decks that are usually tapping out, that you have the opportunity to use spells at instant speed, whether it's in combat as sort of a trick or at the end of your opponent's turn when you didn't have anything to do with your mana. And those plays are important. They're important for developing efficiently and giving your uh, yourself more options in terms of your tactics. So the sorcery is a huge knock on this. And in any format where Fatal Push already exists, there's huge competition. So in Pioneer, you know, how many decks want to be playing that many more Fatal Pushes? I, I don't think there are that many. You know, the, the Rakdos Pyromancer deck wants one mana removal, but I, th- I think it likes having Wild Slash, actually, to get a little bit of reach um, and just to vary its colors. So I, I just don't see where this fits in in a format where Fatal Push exists. And in Standard, you know, the... the condition on it is actually pretty strict. There's not a ton of decks where you're looking to kill one and two mana creatures, so this feels more like a sideboard card to me, again, those matchups, than anything else. So I'm, I'm pretty low here. I gotta agree with you. I'm, I'm. I know I said I was like maybe somewhere in the middle, but I, I'm definitely teetering on the low end. Like my initial reaction to this card was like I kind of just glossed past it. It was like, huh? And then other people started talking a lot about it, and I so I gave it a second look. I wanted to ask you, would it be different if the kicker was only like one in the black instead of two in a black? Yeah, that would you know that would help. I think that would ramp that card up quite a bit, right? Because then you could like make a three mana card trade for like a four mana card, right? Instead of a four mana card trading for a three mana card in a lot of formats. Yeah, but you're you're still casting this card for one mana more often than than for are we? Three or four it's, mana. it's like you said, I don't even know if we are. Like, well, if, if you're not, then you might as well just be playing a, a better removal spell. I think you should play something else. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's where I'm getting to. Like, you know, the more we're talking about it, the more I'm like going back to where I was, where I was like way more down on this card. So this is a card that's getting a lot of press, a lot of people talking about it. We're kind of bullish on it. And it's nice to have us, like, kind of agree on one as well. I, you know, lately I feel like we've been uh, on opposite ends, which is good, too, obviously, because uh, you're wrong more often than you're right, and someone's <laughs> got to put you in your place. So that's a good thing. But I got to say this. Overall, like, looking at the set, I think there's, like, some really cool stuff in here. There's, like, some Planeswalkers that are really cool. Um, I like the flavor of it so far. I, I, you know, I like options on Magic cards. Like, I love charms. I love flip cards, stuff like that. So I'm very excited to see... 
I'm hoping the the mythic uh, lands. You know, we just saw the white one, like you said, that makes angels. The, man, the red one's going to be some stupid thing where it's like it's a mountain and then it randomly can just like tin someone or something for like seven mana. Who knows what they're going to do. Yeah, and it's going to be like all the mono red decks are going to play it, and, but then they're going to have a land that comes into play tapped in their deck, most likely. Did that one come into play tapped? I, I need to, oh, you could pay three life, which the red deck's like, LOL. Like, I wonder if they're all going to have that three life thing or if it's going to be different because like maybe the red one just like has to come into play tapped because it'll be too good in mono red. I don't know. So... Yeah, they could definitely mix it up, and I could see them making, you know, giving each land the more punishing cost for that color. Because, you know, life is going to be more important for a land that is likely going more into control decks. You know, Amiri's Call, not really something your white aggro deck is ever casting. So, uh, though, you know, if the if the backside isn't, that three life isn't that relevant, maybe you just throw it in for the, for the value, but uh, I could definitely see that not being worth it. My big thing with this set right now is how exactly do I evaluate these party cards? Like how because you I think don't you have don't. a conception of what the expected value of party is and how much you really have to build around it. Because they're you know if you're playing, let's say a lot of creatures, your heavy creature deck probably for partying. You know even if you're playing thirty two creatures, you're gonna are you gonna have eight of each type? Yeah, exactly right. And, you know what are you know how many of uh. How many good good creatures of each of those types are there? What synergies are, can you develop when you have to put eight cards of different tribes in? Uh, and how consistent are you going to be able to leverage these cards? It's tough to say. I think it's cool. I don't, I'm don't. i on you. It's going to be interesting to see if you can leverage them. The one that I'm looking at so far is Archpriest of Iona, the one drop for white with like the star two, and its power is equal to the number of creatures in your party. And then it can like it, it if you're if you have a full party, it gives something plus one plus one and flying until the turn. That one right there, if like you pair it with like some other aggressive and disruptive creatures, can feel like the start of a human's deck in Pioneer. And I don't necessarily mean it because it is a human cleric. I don't necessarily mean a deck of humans. I mean like humans was in modern, right? Like the one drop, two drop, three drop deck that's like good and aggressive, but also disrupts you just enough to win, right? Which was very good in modern. It was the best deck for a long time. And cards like this are the ones that lead into it, right? Like the good aggressive start, and then you you know you 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 follow this up with you know something else because you got to make sure you have the right the right mixture, right, of these cards. Like you said, do I do I have eight? Do I have twelve? Do I have ten? Like is that enough? Am I going to draw them often enough? Like because if you don't draw them often enough, then these cards are weak by themselves, right? And also like one fatal push is going to break up your party quite a bit. I'm going to be a loving to say that, right? I'll just break up this party, you know that kind of thing, you know. Who's the potty poopa now? You know, kind of thing. Like, just have some fun with that. So, this is the one I'm looking at so far. Also, the the two drop green one that like counts as everything and like has the kicker to like draw more of them. That one's cool. I don't know if they're good enough for Pioneer. You'll probably see some stuff in Standard with it. Yeah, I find it really hard to actually like want to put green cards with all the other party cards. There doesn't seem to be other things that green is offering, which makes Tijuru Paragon, which is that elf, st uh, stick out a little bit. I agree with you that Archpriest of Iona is definitely the the most appealing party card, but to me it's because you got a pretty good payoff even if you, your party isn't full. If your party's full, you're in good shape. You've got four creatures in the battlefield and you're resolving something else. You know, you're, you're probably pretty far ahead in that game. So a lot of those effects feel like win more to me, like um, Coveted Prize. You know, the, the Diabolic Tutor that if you can have the full party, it just costs one lets you play your a four drop for free. Yeah. So like cost negative three mana and demonic tutors. So like, uh, yeah, that card's know. messed up. The, the, that, yeah, those seem like commander 
cards yeah, to me. Definitely like, seem like commander cards. Uh, there is another card on the spoiler that I'm looking at right now that I kind of wanted to talk about because I actually think this one's kind of a, a sleeper on the one. And I think this was Caleb Durward's uh, card as well. It's this Skyclave Apparition. It's one white white for a 2-2. Two, two. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less. Let that sink in because that's a lot of, you know, things you can't do. But it's going to hit a lot of permanents from your opponent. It's going to also exile them, which is good. Like exiling Uro and stuff is nice. Um, when it leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX blue illusion uh, token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. couple things here. Um, these are two separate triggers. So you can do the old trick where like you play it. If the ability's in the stack, you can blink it and it doesn't happen because the card doesn't leave and will never leave. There's that one mana, you know, blink your own creature and it gets a counter on it if it's a spirit, right? That's in Pioneer. Yeah. I was just going to say this. I was I was burying the lead that this is also a core spirit. So the spirit decks have never had the best removal, right? And you can struggle sometimes with like one big thing being on the, or like, you know, one thing kind of gumming up the works, like, right? Like how many times have you played spirits and your opponent's just like resolved it to fairy against you? Like at the very three and you're like, well, now my deck kind of sucks, right? Because I'm playing two ones at sorcery speed and stuff like that. And this is a card that can answer that while also being a spirit to kind of keep the chain going. Yeah, I, I think this card's very good. I think it sl slots very well into spirits. Those decks have been playing cards like Deputy of Detention. You know, this is a hit off of Collected Company. You're still playing Company. Honestly, it's a good enough card that it might make me play Collected Company again. I was just about to say that. Like, I didn't even think about it in the realm of playing Collected Company. I'm like, I'm getting a little excited about that. Like, I think this card is good. I've got to say, I love this push towards changing these effects from, you know, exile whatever thing with some sort of restriction. And when it, that thing is going to come back when, you know, the creature dies to actually, you know, being hard removal for whatever is problematic, but you give them some value when it dies. I think that makes a ton of sense. I think it makes these cards significantly better. Um, and just the play experience a lot better. Like Let's play feel bad, right? You actually just want to remove their stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially against things like Uro. It's a great answer to Uro. Um, I'm I'm super high on this card. You know, the fact that it can hit Planeswalkers too, it, it seems even very main deckable. Um, this I is think this, this, this card could show up in eternal formats as well by the yeah, way this show up in modern top, top of my list. i think he could show up in legacy you know things like that like i'm looking at you death and taxes and looking at you esper vile and legacy and stuff like that like i i think this card is possibly the sleeper in the set i agree i'm i'm surprised this card hasn't gotten more hype I, i'm caleb previewed it pretty late i think he previewed it during his stream and he streams a little late in the night and maybe like you know it's the hype on it just you know wasn't as much there but I'll tell you this, if, if I'm pre-ordering for the set, I'm, that's the card I'm looking at the price of, and if they're low enough, I'm just going to buy a bunch of them. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I think that I think that card's just good. Yeah. Um, I also think this uh, the white equipment is good, all of the Skyclaves. Yeah, uh, Cedric was tweeting about this one today. So this is a two and a white. It's an equipment. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can attach it to target creature you control. That's huge, right? Like it just, It's kind of like the the reason Embercleave is so busted is the fact that it just happens, right? Yeah, you don't have to feels, pay extra. It feels like a haste creature, really. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like it gives a haste. Yeah, exactly. And it's equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, has flying and first strike. And the equip is two and a, two white, which might happen, but let's be real. You're just trying to dome them a couple times, whatever. But like game, this card is happen. very good and aggressive for its mana cost. Yeah, can you imagine, you know, putting this on like an Adanto Vanguard? Yeah, like it's just great, right? It gives you 
more big payoffs on curves when you go like one, two, three. Plus, like the evasion is a big deal. Like giving a white weenie creature flying or first strike is huge. This is also another art. This is an artifact or toolcraft exemplar. Ooh, I didn't think about that one. So this is. Are you just trying to make uh, Loxanon happen in, in Pioneer again? I just gonna want be... a Toolcraft Exemplar to happen. Tool, yeah. I want to play Toolcraft Exemplar, Thraven Inspector, Scrappy Scrounger, you know, maybe a third color. I don't know. Dude, I'm in. But this this sounds great in that deck. Shit, if we're, if we're going this far, like, let's just all the glitters, too. Let's let's go. Let's, let's, just, let's just move in. You know, maybe. You know, like, maybe something like that goes along those lines. We'll see. That, that might be too much. But it matters how many malls you play. Definitely like this one. Um... The three drop black flyer slot has been filled a lot lately. Like lots of cool ones uh, coming out, but there's there's some sweet ones coming out. I'm trying to find the dang card. The the spoiler here we go. Uh, the the new Nighthawk Termagoyf, I think is what I like to call it. Nighthawk Scavenger. So one black black, a star three flying death touch lifelink, and its power is equal to one plus the number of card types among cards in your opponent's graveyards. Now, that's the big thing. It's opponent's graveyard. It's not both. So it's not like, you know, Termogoyf that it's uh, symmetrical. But keep in mind, this is a rogue. And uh, that's the theme with rogues from the one drop Thieves Guild Enforcer. You know, milling uh, your opponent for two and, you know, having a benefit when they have eight cards in their graveyard. So this is playing off of that. There's actually quite a few good rogues. I, I think the 1-1 one, one flyer is perfectly fine in blue. Merfolk Wind Robber. Just 1-1 one, one flyer for one. When it uh, deals combat damage to a player, they mill a card. And if they have eight cards in their graveyard, you can sacrifice it to draw a card. Yeah. So it's just a cheap, cheap rogue and sets everything up. Uh, you know, there's there's that and Thieves Guild Enforcer to start milling them. You get to, you know, your payoff and Nighthawk Scavenger from just being gigantic and the the Demir card that takes things from their graveyard, Zareth Sand, so like the, which is also a rogue. Those are your payoffs. Brazen Borrower, also a rogue. Rankle, also a rogue. So I kind of want to talk about this for a little bit, like... Now, this is a three drop, you know, which is drastically different than two drop because this card's been compared to Termogoyf quite a bit. They're like, this is like the new Termogoyf type thing, right? The reason you saw Termogoyf kind of fall off the ledge a little bit, right? Like it used to be format defining and modern and format defining in, in, in Legacy. And even before like Fatal Push got printed where you're like, this is literally the prey for Termogoyf. Before that happened is you started seeing it in certain games where... You, you didn't have enough time to attack with it three or four times, right? Because it was always like a four or five or two, right? That's like the average, like four or five or two, and that's huge. You saw games where attacking with it four times wasn't enough like to, to finish the game off in time, or it got outclassed on the battlefield. And when Termoweave gets outclassed on the battlefield, that is a really big feel bad because now your deck is like inefficient, right? Like, I can't tell you how many games in, in Legacy where I would play in Grixis Delver, I play against Teamer Delver, and they would like play a Termogoyf, right? And I would just play a Gurmag Angler and look at them. Like, your, your thing's a fucking 2-3 now. Like, good luck, right? Yeah. You know, I just outclass them immediately. And like, that doesn't happen with this version of the card, right? Because it has flying, death touch, and lifelink. Like, it actually has more text, right? So it can fly over the stuff that's bigger than it, or it can trade for it. Plus, it can race anything that as long as it doesn't have three times the power or whatever, right? So I like this card a lot. I'm not saying it's going to have huge implications, but you could see this start showing up. In mono black aggro, the spot is, is, is you know is, it does have three toughness, which is big in this format, and it three is a three drop. Cost big three in this format, it's fatal push and wild slash, so it's sitting right there in the sweet spot to dodge cheap removal in pioneer. The fact there's no bolt in this format has made card choices so important, and that like if you're having to trade a two mana you know spell or three mana spell to deal, to deal with this, 
I'd be okay with it. It gets around the new removal spell that we're talking about. They'd have to pay four. You know, you don't get to just, you know, pay the one mana sorcery version of this card. So, um, <clears throat> I think I think this card possibly shows up. I really do. Um, yeah, it, I kind of overlooked this one, but I could definitely see it showing up. Yeah, the, the fact that it's a three mana black creature, right? Like, we just have so many good ones in, in that area and stuff. But I do like the callback to that it's a Nighthawk. You know, like the callback to some of its 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 predecessors in, in history and, and its casting cost. Uh, pretty cool stuff there. Have you seen one of the other cards that got spoiled today? One of the new ones. This one was Ephro's uh, spoiler card, card in Rolling Vortex. Yeah, I've seen this one. So this one, I'm not so sure about Pioneer, but definitely in some Eternal formats and in Standard and stuff like that. It's one in a red for a red enchantment. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, Rolling Vortex deals one damage to them. So anybody remembers Sulfuric Vortex? Very good callback here to that. Um... Whenever a player casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast that spell, Rolling Vortex deals five damage to them. I think Pioneer is like one of the only formats that doesn't have a lot of free spells going on in it. Like Modern's got a bunch, Legacy's got a bunch, Historic is even getting free spells. You know, they've got like Pact of Negation going all over the place there and stuff like that. And then it does have an activated ability in one red. Your opponents can't gain life this turn. So pretty cool way to like you know take on Uro and these decks that are like doing a lot of incremental stuff to gain a bunch of to gain a bunch of life against you. If like you're an aggressive deck and you're looking to kind of punish people away from doing that, if you don't want to play Rampaging Ferocidon because it dies, here's another good way to do it. Having to leave up red to kind of keep them from gaining life, a lot to ask for. Not sure I see it with this card, but it does have some cool implications if your opponent's deck also has free spells. Like just yeah, that's I where I think the break-even point is. I gotta have a lot of free spells for you to want to play that card. Well, most of the ones like I'm I'm looking at in, in modern and in, in legacy have four to eight. You know, you're you're thinking of like force of will, pact of negation type stuff. Like just, they have both. There you go. You know? Yeah, but the, like, is that enough? It's only eight, and there's gonna be a good number of games where your opponent is just able to pay the life, and they're no, happy to of, do so. of course, of course. Uh, I, I'm saying if that's relevant along with the other text, this is where the break-even point is for me of it being playable right? I'm not saying it's going to be good or anything like that. That's a lot of ifs. Yeah, of course. Uh, another cool one they got previewed today is Soul Shatter. It's a two and a black instant. Like I said, just more black removal preview never said, but this one's pretty cool. It's uh, each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker with the highest converted mana cost among creatures and planeswalkers they control. So pretty cool one here. Answers, you know, it's what was the card? Crackling Doom? Cackling Doom that you were talking about? It's kind of like that one from back in the day. Just answers their biggest threat uh, for two and a black, kind of a ubiquitous answer. Might show up somewhere, just depends on how the format goes, but uh, pretty serviceable removal spell and the fact that it it kills both of them. And you are mentioning it does get around hexproof and stuff yeah, like that as well. That's that's where it's big to me, is get, getting around hexproof. So if people are dream trawling or there's a ends up being a Selesnia hexproof deck, you know, that's the that's definitely a card you're going to want to look to. So I agree that that'll, I think that'll pop up, you know, occasionally over the years, but is not going to be a staple. Definitely, that's just a card that you keep in the back of your mind. You know, it's always in, in your box of potential sideboard cards if you're playing, you know, at, at that deck uh, or any deck that can cast it. So it's, it's, it's always there, but it doesn't, you know, it's not that often that it makes your 75. Yeah, absolutely. Um, were there any other cards on here that kind of caught your eye from this floor? We kind of got a lot. Of, I, like, uh, uh, I like the green one drop, Swarm Shambler. Uh, is that the one that has to do with the counter on it? Yeah, it's, so it's green for zero, zero, comes into play with a plus and plus one counter. Uh, when a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it becomes the target of a spell an opponent controls, you create a one one insect token, and then you can pay one tap and put another counter on the shambler. So it's kind of like uh, Hangerback Walker in that way. 
So, you know, just a, a cheap, efficient creature that scales decks probably want to play, right? Which they needed something else, right? Like, you know, yeah. losing losing a Walking Ballisto is a big blow to those decks. So, yeah. you know. I think they can start being more aggressive now. Like, they they probably have a critical mass of really cheap creatures. They can, and with the new land, you can look at a Selesnia build that plays Venerated Loxodon and Conclave Mentor and Swarm Shambler and Chamber Sentry and, uh, you know, the... Uh, Stone Coil Serpent, and you know, just go off with that. Would it be an episode of a show with you if you didn't mention uh, Loxodon? I, I no, I just I, I like me vener- some venerated Loxodon. Yeah, it's like you and Jim Davis love that card an unreal amount. Jim and might I actually guess, like it's it a good more card. Than I do. It's a, it's an awesome card. Yeah, it's so sad that white was practically unplayable for like the last year. Yeah, they just didn't print any good cheap white creatures because venerated Loxodon is messed up. Yeah, exactly. Look what happened well, when they did print good cheap white creatures. It won the Pro Tour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it it was it was a mirror match in the finals, too. Yeah. yeah. And then I picked the deck up and seven won the Envy with it. Yeah, so I, remember no, say, I remember that. I can win matches with standard. You know the deck's fucked up. I know. I was going to say, I remember Jim Davis playing it in, what, Modern? In his yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorite decks I've ever seen build. And I'm so sad that it's, it can't ever be a thing again because it needed Mox Opal. Loxobots, Loxobots I think yeah. The... If, if y'all haven't seen this, I'm sure there's some videos of it oh, on yeah, Jim's is. channel. Uh, but it was a, you know, a mono white deck with you know the, sort of the affinity base of creatures, the cheap creatures. It's like four Ornithopter, four Memnite, four Signal Pest, and then like Thraben Inspector, Toolcraft Exemplar. Uh, you know, had Mox Opal and Venerated Loxodon, and so you would just play lo- like I saw him play Loxodon on turn one before. Played Legion's Landing because that card's really powerful. Um, and, but you'd often play it on turn two and then it had, uh, Thalia, great disruptive creature and actually played lean and arbiter, which is very good with Mox Opal. Like anytime you can accelerate the arbiter out and then, uh, and be able to cast it and ghost quarter them. And it, just because the deck had a, a good number of artifacts, you were able to play, you, you could afford playing some colorless lands. So it played ghost quarter and dark Soul citadel and then had, you know, 12 or 13 white sources. Uh, but the deck is, is super sweet, had some really... I mean, it can it had some really explosive draws, but without Mox Opal, not really a thing. But I would I would love to play some Loxodon in in Pioneer. You 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 can bet on on me trying that. that I think we're, we're probably we're probably gonna need another. I gotta believe we're gonna need another white aggressive creature. We are in Zendikar. You know, there's always like even though um what was it called the first time around? It's, it's the red version of it now. Um, the the landfall creature gets plus two plus two. The zero one. Steplinks. What's that? Steplinks. Yeah, the Steplinks got is red now. So. Yeah, there's a there's a red step links and then a, a gruel plated GOP basically that has haste. Um, so there's definitely get a, they're definitely pushing towards like a gruel landfall aggro deck because they, you also get to play Rada. Yeah, not having fetch lands like I said in standard, and we're not going to have fetch lands standard as big, but it does kind of you can see where they were going with some of the printings of the cards. Like you know, you mentioned the rogue cards earlier. You know, fabled passage coming back, and it looks like it's going to possibly be evergreen though. We're not getting a core set this year. Um, I was going to ask, did you did you by any chance look at all the announcements that were coming up? Uh, was it? Th- I, uh, I didn't realize that we weren't getting a core set. I saw that there there was like fucking Viking set, Harry Potter set, D and D set, and then and then wolves and something werewolf set, and then like werewolf set in the fall. Well, we're going back to Innistrad. Yeah, back to Innistrad, sure. And you get to be Team Edward or Team Jacob. It's it's vampires and werewolves. Like there's a vampire set and a werewolf set. Apparently they're going to be two separate sets. I was gonna, I was gonna say I was gonna laugh when they were both sets that came out at the exact same time, and you picked which packs you want, either werewolf or 
or uh, vampire and the set was just like 35 cards different that instead of the werewolves you would get vampires instead of the vampires you would get werewolves you know it'd, it'd be kind of like a pre-con type thing right and i was like yeah i was gonna laugh when something like that happened or whatever so um but i'm just excited to go back to innistrad it's probably my favorite set of all time uh especially for limited it was also, my favorite shadows sucked so maybe we can do better this time yeah, well, we'll see, or we'll probably do worse, because let's be real, it's the greatest set of all time, it's hard, it's hard to do better, you know, but um, the, that theme's kind of cool, I, I don't know, we're doing some sweet themes this year, right, you said, like, there's the Harry Potter set, like, it's a wizard set, there's a Viking set, which is going to be kind of cool, a lot of cool beards are going to be on cards, they better let CVM preview a card for the set, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I hope the, uh, I hope the Ragnarok card is, like, uh, is very Jokohopsy, I want to fucking Jokohops people. For people who listen... And like to dabble in MTG Finance. Get your dwarves cards now. Seven dwarves, the dwarf lords. Like there's one from back in the day, like Balfour the Defiled, whatever. They're already expensive. But I'm telling you now, if there's any good dwarf cards, and there's got to be dwarf cards, right? Like you, you, you got to believe there's going to be dwarf cards in the Viking set. Like it just makes sense, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not reaching too far there, am I? No. Yeah, I've got to believe there's going to be some cards in there for that. So I think it's a good spec, maybe. So if uh, if I if I lead you astray, uh, tag Ross on Twitter and let him know how upset you tag are. And then, at Shaheen Sarani. Yeah, there you go. Actually, tag Shaheen Sarani, which is hilarious. I actually ta- talk to him more than I talk to you now because we play Warzone together all the time. He's a crotchety old man. It's great. And uh, so we definitely need to make sure that we tag him in, in all the stuff that we can. But um, yeah, the announcements were cool. Uh I can't keep up with some of the other announcements. Like I tried to read the OP announcement, the organized play announcement, and it's, I I don't, I mean, it was like 80 paragraphs long, a lot of the same words over and over again. It seemed bad, but like, I don't know if they're ever going to fix it with the MPL being the way it is. Like, I just think it actually ruined competitive magic quite a bit because there's nothing for the common person to aspire to anymore. Like, like 1% of 1% gets a chance to even like compete for money anymore so this is this is so weird to me because we spent the last you know five years before the mpl talking about how op it was getting like too hard and too big for you know to make it easy to uh get you know crack into that echelon um and uh, you know that that can't go away like you unless you would just want fewer people playing magic which nobody wants uh competitive magic that is so, you know, the only solution is to build in more levels to the system. I can agree there. So that, you know, y- you can accurately see where you are instead of just, you know, having this one giant tournament and hoping to spike to get to make it all the way in one one step. Now there there's different levels. So, there's a pathway, right? Like there's a yeah. concrete thing for you to follow. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, over the if this system stays in place and i actually hope it does i think it's kind of complicated but you know we'll get used to it and i think the complexity needed to go up because it, there needed to be sort of multiple steps in in the chain um then you know you're going to see people who are consistently competing in those gauntlet events but maybe don't crack through for a little while and then when they crack through it'll be a really nice narrative right yeah yeah right. um you know w- we can definitely quote about the numbers i, I think they made it a little bit too hard to actually stay in once you're there. Um, I think that you, you do want some turnover, but I, 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 you know, I, I would, I would tweak the numbers a little bit, but that's, you know, a, a minor point. The thing is like, you know, it was already really hard to get, make your way onto the pro tour. It was just, I think it was, it just seemed less daunting because it all, what you had to do was just spike big tournaments. 
well, like spiking those tournaments is really hard because they're really big. Now you still need to do well in a, in a series of tournaments, but those individual tournaments are smaller. And for some reason, like that difference and making it more overt in how difficult it is to actually crack through into competitive magic these days made people really angry. But I don't think it, I don't think it actually made it significantly harder. Yeah, I, I mean, just, not having Grand Prix and stuff it definitely hurts, right? Not having yeah. the ability to also spike stuff. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, you know, you would still have some of those paths in paper that are a little bit more spiky, yeah. um, but those just don't exist because of COVID. So that's not that's not the, the fault of this system. That's Agreed. just the reality that we're facing right now uh, as long as we live in a state that doesn't give a flying fuck about dealing with a pandemic. So <laughs> Exactly. You know, no, 100% agree. Um so if you really want to critique the entire system, you kind of have to wait until after COVID to see what how it blends with paper. Um, and that, you know, that's a hard sell for, you know, magic players to shut their fucking mouths for more than four seconds. <laughs> All right. Uh, cold, hard facts and truth here from, from Ross Merriam. <laughs> I love it. I, I say this as I am like creating a magic podcast so I can talk for hours on end each week and have people listen to me, you know, a little yeah. bit of hypocrisy there. But, you know. You can't hold you can't hold it in all the time. I'm aware. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, lots of other cool things. Um, I'm not up to date on. There's like eight different forms of every pack now. They're like this is a booster pack. Oh, this yeah, is I a collector pack. This is a VIP pack shit. kind of thing. They're gonna get me on a little bit of it. I'm gonna definitely buy a box of at least a box of Zendikar or whatever to get a box topper because they're really cool and sweet and there's some really really awesome ones. I'm gonna buy none of it. Uh, I mean, I'm going to support my LGS a little bit. That's not the only reason. Let's, let's be real. I'm, I'm, I'm selfish and want to crack a wasteland. I don't support like my LGS, Tannen. My LGS supports me. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> mine, mine doesn't support me, so <laughs> it's fine. It's I reverse not, that not. relationship. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need that from, from my LGS, which, I mean, they, they do a lot for me anyway, if I ask. I mean, I haven't been in since, like, pretty much since the start. I went and picked up something there, like, once or whatever, but... Uh, lots of you know, lots of cool stuff in the pipeline coming down. Um, another remastered set's going to come out, Time Spiral Remastered. While I'm generally, this isn't my thing, right? It's not a thing that I'm, I'm into. The preview that we've gotten from it, totally my shit, right? I, I'm not. I, I hate the card. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big, big not fan of Chalice of the Void, but it's Chalice of the Void with the old school framing. And, so it's like a 1997. Yeah, it's brown. I cannot tell yeah. you how much I prefer brown artifacts to silver. I will say this, I like the new card frames, but artifacts and the old card frames just they hit different. You know what I mean? It, like they oh, it's it's like if you've ever seen like the judge swords that have the old card frame and stuff like that, like all that stuff just looks amazing. I think it's great. I'm super excited to see what else is in there. And it's not just going to be the artifacts. There's going to be old frames for other things. And yeah, I'm assuming they're going to do some cool cards there. Or not so, uh, Path Exile, I saw. Yeah, I haven't seen the Path Exile yet, but I, I remember them talking about it. If they have a card in there, for me, like, let's say, Delver of Secrets, you know, something like that. I'm all in. I'm getting, like, multiple versions of them. I want some foils. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm super into the, the collector side of that kind of stuff. That's, that's my shit. You know, like, with me, they kind of missed with uh, Secret Lair. Nothing wrong with that product. That's cool for a lot of people. Just not my thing. You know, like, it's not, not a thing I'm going to spend money on. But this kind of thing, oh, yeah. I'm, if, you, if you get it right, I'm in on it. You're getting my money. Yeah, still not getting my money. Yeah, Ross, I know. I'm aware. So, uh, We did have a mailbag question uh, this week. Uh, I was about to say, it's from one of our most common mailbag uh, askers in Lima Cloud. Most valued and, contributors. Yeah, uh, huge fan, by the way. Uh, check out, he's on, he's on a podcast himself, does a, lot of, does a lot of content as well, and 
does a lot of coverage. He's been doing some coverage as well lately, which I'm actually going to be stepping back in the booth uh, later this month myself. Uh, you may have heard me mention earlier that I've been playing Historic. I'm actually going to be doing commentary for one of the Hoogland Opens uh, later. You know, some some welcome to Hooglandia. Have you started playing some Historic? Because I, I need, have. I need to catch up with it because I've got the Open on Monday and uh, the Qualifier weekend that following weekend. Like is in like four or five days from now? Yeah, what should I All play? Right. Let's. Uh, I like the black red deck a lot. I haven't. I haven't got a chance to try other stuff what, too that's much. That's what Corey let's, told me too. So, th- and th- and that was the first deck that I looked to. And I was like, that deck seems sweet. Let's let's do something fun. How about this? Um, let's. We can even stream this. Let's let's figure out what you want to look at, and then we'll get the other common decks. I can build. I'm arena rich. I can, I can build anything, right? And we'll just we'll play some sets against them and try to figure some stuff out. Okay. This will have. To, this will have to happen tomorrow evening. Uh, I don't think I have it. What, what is that? Thursday? I don't think I have anything going on then. I got to make sure, you know, obviously, but let's let's tentatively do that. It, we can stream both sides of it. I'll turn my stream back on. It's been a while and stuff. Yeah, I'm in. Um, so uh, super excited to, to get back in there and uh, be paid to talk about magic cards in another way other than the podcast. So super cool about that. Um, anyway, back to Lee. Um, I see that Lee has cube on the brain a lot lately. He's been asking a lot of cube centric or drafts, you know, uh, limited questions, but it makes sense, right? Like a lot of people, you can only play in like you know, maybe have a couple friends over to hang out, and cube seems kind of perfect for this thing. So, definitely get that. His question is: If you owned a cube, what would you want it to be like? What do you want to draft? Can be any theme, any sets, uncards, whatever. Up to you. Um, for me, I like it to be more fair than unfair. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of having power in it, though. It does add some like cool aspects of like, oh my god, I got black lotus this game and I lost. But if you're like trying to always have good games. It's not always great gameplay when your opponent casts like a Planeswalker on one and you haven't played a land yet, you're just dead, you know, or your opponent Ancestrals and then like Snapcasters and Ancestral and you're like, okay, well, I'm also dead, you know, <clears throat> that kind of stuff. So more fair. Um, the stuff that I generally like to drive, I like like mono brown decks, you know, like the Artifact Mana, Telerian Academy, like that kind of deck where you're, you're synergistic as well, like love that kind of stuff. Um, love the synergy decks. And then I love just the good card piles with like, like, I, like, one of my favorite first picks, I love taking, like, you know, Snapcaster Mage or any card that, incru- like, values other cards being good. So it's, like, a synergistic tempo type thing. So th- that's that's my jam. I know you you have specific things that you like. I, I know you're a big uh, believer in the, the backdooring, the mono-white aggro deck. To, so in, in, like, Legacy and Vintage Cube, sure. But if I were going to have a cube myself, it would be a Popper Cube. I like Popper Cube quite a bit. Because when you're when you're drafting, you know, powered cubes or, or regular cubes, you're really just drafting constructed decks. And they feel like constructed decks. The gameplay yeah. feels like constructed. Yeah. When you play Popper Cube, it often feels like you're drafting limited decks. But everybody's deck is really good. It's like a you know a super high powered limited format, and that to me is really fun and interesting. Um, I don't really have you know huge uh, things thought out about this, but I would definitely have a graveyard like value deck where say to wayfinder grizzly salvage were good i would definitely have you know some control strategies something where Muldrifter is good yeah and i'm a big fan of that kind of deck right is good yeah i'm a big fan of like the Muldrifter type deck that's kind of what i was alluding to like restoration angels like kind of my shit you know cards like that to like you get to dirtle around but also kind of incrementally kill your opponent drafted you know? a blue white blink deck in cube once yeah it was momentary blink momentary blink blue- let's go I did, I, I think I two won yeah, but I was beating people up with uh, Fibblethip and Caracas. 
Just three mana every turn, draw a card. Let's go. That is that that is some dirtling. Like divination yeah. is like probably the bottom end of my dirtling. That's even worse. Like, uh, buddy, you're doing it every turn. I drew like yeah. seven extra cards one but game it's, because of it's it. it's two separate cards that I mean, like obviously Caracas can be good in other spots, but Fibletip's not. <laughs> like Fibletip is perfectly fine. Sure, just draw a card. Get to blink it. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is the yeah. It's a low ceiling card, but it's a high floor card. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. That's what my cube would be like. It would be a proper cube where we get to draft, you know, really f- well fleshed out limited archetypes. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, if I had to have like one overarching theme, it would be like a lot of cre- like almost all my creatures would be like there'd be like some form of value, like they generate something or they destroy something or they do something. Like not a lot of generic things. So it'd be a lot of like FTK type stuff going on, you know. So like decent bit of mid-range decks like the control decks really need to two for one you quite a bit to like keep up you know they're not just going to cast a wrath of god and win you know you know type thing so that would be that'd be ideal but you still have to have like aggro represented like you know you need mono red to be there right like you need mono white to be there like you need the weenie decks to still be good so um i think just a good i think the easiest way to put this is just a good representation across the board if you can and then i am not a big fan of like storm and stuff like that but i'll put it in there for other people i will never draft sure. it <laughs> It's like uh, it's like the easiest way to get me to stop watching your stream is the people who like force storm all the time. I'm just like, look, it's fun, it's cool, it's a cool deck. I I, I want to like watch you actually like draft the cube. You know, like it's it's nothing against that person. You can do whatever you want with your own money and time. It's just I want to see the cube get drafted, not you force the same deck every time. But like I say that when I've definitely forced decks a bunch of times trying to you know win cube and stuff. So I, I it's like I've never seen a hypocrite before, Ross. Anyway, yeah, never ever in my life. All right. If people wanted to hear some more from you, watch some more of your stuff, or read about some of the stuff that you do, where would they go? First things first is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunneds. It's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Good one-stop shop for all the other content and things that I do, and a good place to ask me questions. I try to get back to people as often as possible. Next place is my written content on StarCityGames.com. Uh, my article is a little bit delayed this week just because of the way that Cedric wanted to schedule things, so it'll be up later this week. I'm actually writing about the the cleric that draws cards when other clerics die. T-O-B something. Toberisk? Toberish? Not even going to attempt to announce that. Yeah, something like that. So if that's a card that interests you, that's what my article will be about. Then there's my non-written content on starcgames.com, by which I mean... Um, versus live show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. That's 1 to 4 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays where we play you know magic that we think is relevant. And right now that is preview season cards. So we're trying out everything we think is cool, a bunch of different shells. Uh, you know, Twitter's a great place to throw deck ideas my way. I love getting deck ideas during this time because brewing six decks every week is t- pretty tough. So uh, yeah, it's difficult. Yep. So that, that's a good time to, to get your decks featured. And at the end of every preview season, we always do a show of all viewer submitted decks we did one recently for modern that was tuesday show actually uh and you'll uh, be able to do that again in a couple weeks if you missed that with you know a post um, rotation standard so we're focusing there a lot we'll probably get into some pioneer and modern towards the end of preview season uh and that's what we're doing right now we uh you know have a great time on versus live take questions straight from the audience uh in between games and uh if you can't catch us live you can Find them on the Star City Games YouTube channel. They always go up the next day at 5 p.m. Then, last but not least, is my personal stream. I'm uh, Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. I actually took last week kind of off. 
Uh, and I'm going to be taking kind of this week off because we don't have the tournament until Monday. Uh, and I've got some obligations over the weekend. So, um, uh, so a little bit of, sl of a slow time, but I usually try to stream, you know, three times a week or so, usually heavily towards the weekends, just tournament preparation and the tournaments themselves. Uh, I stream all of the, you know, SCG Tour online championship qualifiers. I am now qualified for the Season 2 championship, so I will be streaming that when it happens. Fancy. Which is uh, the week after this set is released, so it'll be post-rotation standard that we're playing. So it'll be the second weekend of it. So uh, definitely be a really fun tournament to watch, and uh, you can catch my streams there, and I appreciate all the support on all of those many platforms. Tannen, if they want to see more baseball rants and opinion, your opinions on things for some unknown reason, where would they go? Uh, they would go to Twitter. It's at the Tannen Grace. Uh, my Twitch is just Tannen Grace. So hopefully that'll be up and fired up tomorrow night, like we were talking about, and get some uh, some historic battling going. So some Pioneer Light, as you want to say. Uh, there's definitely some some correlation of decks there that look like they're you know ported over. So pretty cool stuff. I think going to possibly be on that channel. I mean... I feel you're going to stream tomorrow night. I'm like a solid 50-50. Let's, let's, let's be real. But I definitely want to help out because I definitely need to learn the format a ton. So there's probably a better chance of 50% that I that I help out as long as nothing else gets in the way. Um, as for the show itself, you can follow us on Twitter at CastPioneer. Uh, there's a link in there for our Discord. If you can't find it there, uh, message either me, Brent, or, or Ross, and we can get you the link. We do have a Patreon. We appreciate everyone at home that listens. If you can... Support us monetarily. There's a two, five, and ten dollar tier there. Um, it goes a long way in helping us out. We get to uh, do cool stuff for people, put in extra shows. We get to pay Brent to do the great editing that he does for the show. Because I'll tell you this: Ross and I do not sound this good normally. There's a uh, that is true. There's a there's a lot going on behind the scenes, right? A lot that we even don't see. Yeah, exactly. I'm about to say I. The show, I was very lucky to have Brent like in the back pocket for this, you know, like because he he did some editing on an old show that I used to do, and just you know, all this came together very e easy and seamlessly and painless because yeah, I'm pretty lazy. Nothing. It was as easy as possible. I just had to show up and talk, and I'm good at that. Yeah, We're really playing to my strengths here. Yeah, mine too. I mean, like, let's be real. Yeah, uh, sit there, look pretty, keep me in line. Those are all your strengths. Yep. About to say, uh, fill in dead air. Real good at the the, the, the airbag thing. So, uh, but yeah, you can check out our work. Patreon there. Help us out. Um, we do have some rewards going out to people relatively soon. We're gonna be sending some stuff in the mail. Um, you may have heard mentioned the Patreon only t uh, TV show, Patreon only show that we're gonna be doing soon. Where if you're a Patreon uh, patron, bleh, you can ask us questions, and the show will be led by you and the questions that you want to hear and talk about. So if you want to hear me talk about more about baseball, we should record or, that next week. We were going to do that at the end of August, and we got a little delayed because of last week. So let's do that next week. Yeah, the hurricanes kind of messed up everything. You know, it kind of just like lost a week of work and everything. So yeah, there was one hurricane up. for each of us. We, we both suffered equally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, that kind of stuff. So, And uh, speaking of monetarily supporting us, um, I hope that you have definitely checked out our main sponsor right now. And that's Barrister and Man. Uh, big fan of the products. Like I've been saying on the show, I am just in love with the shaving butter that they sent me and the shaving brush. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm going to be doing some, some grooming tonight. I'll say my beard's getting a little, uh, facial hair's getting a little out of control. Shaving. I'm actually super considering it. I think I'm going to do it and I'm, I'm going to do it possibly for the show tomorrow. I might be clean shaven tomorrow. I haven't been clean shaven in like eight years or something like that, but I want to see if it, you know, what it does to my face helps out the skin a little bit because it does actually help, you know, like exfoliate and hydrate your skin and stuff a bunch. So I'm looking forward to the, you know, the, the, the pluses and minuses when that kind of stuff happens. Um, 
there's a conversation going on on our Discord today. Uh, some some people were ordering some of the cool soaps that they have. Someone said they bought the cool bay rum and minty fresh soap today. Uh, I'm a big a big fan of some of those myself and have those. I've been using the uh, the minty one myself, and I, I know we said this, but it is the best soap I've ever had after a summer day. Like it is so nice that when I go outside and like cut the grass and literally lose five pounds of sweat for my body, you know, and I, I've joked about this, the, the thing where you have, to, you have to peel the shirt off of you. Oh you yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's, there's like heft to it as you're throwing it in the hamper. You're just oh, like, Ugh. it's got weight to it. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I could throw that somebody and it would like be a projectile. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, love their products. Feels great in there. Um, check out their hand soaps too. A lot of cool hand soaps. And I mean, I don't know about you, but my daily hand washing has exponentially gone up over the last six months. So it's very nice to have the extra stuff around. And you know what? It smells pretty good too. So you got that significant other in your life that, you know, hey, you might smell a little better for, or you just want to smell a little better in public in general. That's great. Also, somebody you're trying to impress. Holidays are coming up. In fact, I, uh, I meant to, the last week's show was going to remind me to do this. It was my brother's birthday today. He turned 40 today. And uh, I was going to get him some of their stuff as a present, and I have forgotten to do that. So I'm probably going to do that right now. When the show's over, I'm going to order a few. Th- Worst brother ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we can't go visit them a ton right now, so it kind of, like, I just forget stuff. So I know that sounds kind of callous, but, like, whatever. It's just part of life. But I'm gonna I'm gonna send him some stuff, or I might just be like, hey, pick something on the on the site that you want, or whatever, and, and send him more like, and be like, maybe I'll talk to his wife. Actually, I'm gonna talk to the wife. That's a, that's a much better yeah. idea. What, yeah. what do you want him to smell like? Yeah, what do you want him to smell like? What does he need? Does he need to shave more? I'll get him some shaving stuff. That way, I can do it, and it doesn't look, you know, like you don't buy your significant other like a toaster, you know, or yeah. like you know something for like you need to cook more or something, you know, like you know, like you, I remember you once you don't get them Weight Watchers. It, I remember once one of one one girlfriend bought me some like some weights or something or got me like a gym membership or something. I was just like, you know, you can just tell me that I need to work out more. Like I can, you know, or whatever. But it is funny when someone sends you that. You're like, it's a very passive aggressive way of like trying to correct this person yeah. <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. But big fan of their products. Make sure you use our code uh, PioneerCast. I think it's fifteen percent off right now. And I don't think they've changed that. Uh, it can be pretty significant on some of the orders, but like I said, holidays are coming up, birthdays coming up. You got a bunch of reasons to do this stuff, and we're all stuck at home, so get yourself some cool stuff, you know, or somebody else. So, I'm—I'll tell you this—it's it, nice to have this in the back pocket for for gifts to give people this year. Like, you know, it's because I like giving gifts that I when I give it to someone, I'm like, I enjoy this. You know, I mean, this is something that I like. And I figured you might enjoy this as well. You know, and it's. Because I think we've mentioned this before on the show as well, that these are some things that I wouldn't buy myself or for myself. But now that I've gotten them, I'm like, I can't not have them going forward. So I'm like a customer for life now. Where, how do I live without you? Yeah, exactly. But, and Ross, how do I live without you? Well, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that for one more week until we get next week's show. Um, we shouldn't have the full spoiler by then, right? No, I think it'll either come out at the end of that week or the end of the next week. So uh, let's let's say this. If we see that the full spoiler is going to be out at the end of next week, maybe we move back the show a few days to get the full spoiler episode show in. If not, we'll just do the normal episode early in the week. Yeah. Right? Sounds, Sounds good. Like a plan. Uh, everybody at home agree with that? Let everybody right, know cool. our secret standing. Yeah, whatever. I mean, they already know. They already know we do this by the seat of our pants. Come on, let's be real. Yeah. Again, Brent's the only one who does any work. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Brent, you got some work to do. And for everybody at home, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the support and everything. And we'll see y'all next week.
just I, I like me venerate some venerated Loxodon. 